0: football focus doing last week they had brainy this week they got brainy. we're doing it we're literally doing it differently from everybody else hey, as a matter of fact moving forward from this point on i will not make reference to pml ready to get into it yeah, yeah. all right so, we're going team by team i would be very careful man's laying am i gonna get sued We got legal on this i yeah, like football like football season all the things that go with it Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson. We're back Monday morning, live on YouTube, 7 a.m. It is uh, New Year's Day. Uh, observed, right? Monday morning here. What? All the bowl games are today. A lot of the, the midday bowl games and everything. Yeah, It's all happening today. Because it's not New Year's Day. No, it's not. That was yesterday. Right. All the NFL games were there. So now college football. We have all day starting at noon here today, Sam. It's a big day. Great. Uh, so... Week 17. Happened. Mostly happens. The biggest game of the week, though. Still tonight, the Bills are in town. Have you seen Josh Allen yet? Like, personally? Yeah, he's in town. No. He's probably at a coffee shop or something right now. You think? Yeah. We should, huh. go, we should go find Josh. I got my jersey and everything. Anyway. Yeah, get it signed. We got a lot to talk about from yesterday's Week 17. So uh, we're going to get into it. The 15 games. Uh, some we'll talk about more than others. Yeah. Because that's what we're doing here.
1: Yeah, we've reached that we've reached the point in the season where there's some very like even red zone or you know they're like look we'll show you a touchdown but don't expect to see a lot of this game. That's it. You know, that's it.
0: So uh, Cardinals fans, once again, Cardinals Falcons and the Jags Texans game that meant nothing, but you know both teams are happy coming out of it. Seems we won't to touch on it as much. So um, let's get into it. Starting back uh, way back Thursday night football, Dallas Cowboys twenty seven, Tennessee Titans thirteen. Again, it was a meaningless game for the Titans for the most part. There was this weird path. I think there's still this weird path where they could become a wild card team. But the Titans were, you know, pretty much saving for this week or for next week against the against the Jags with the play in game for the AFC South. The Cowboys, a lot at stake because they still have a shot at the number one seed if a few things break. But um, ultimately, they took care of business, even though the Titans gave them a little bit of a scare during this game
1: and more of a shot now
0: than they did when they were playing this game that's right like philadelphia lost another game philadelphia has lost but uh dallas was good man i think you know once again offensively there's this uh stat out there if you take out the turnovers Dak is up there <laughs> with uh it's just for perspective
1: okay uh-huh. if you
0: take out the turnovers yes Dak prescott's up there with patrick mahomes for uh epa per play this year you know, yeah it's just to, to highlight the efficiency of the cowboys offense which by the way way back in week 1 was t- horrendous, right? Started out slow. Dak got hurt, but since he's been back, the offense has been has been really effective. And then there's some turnovers in there where Dak's making a great throw and it gets, you know, dropped for an interception. He has a bad interception in there, a fumble, but um outside of those plays, Dallas is moving the ball a lot. TY Hilton I think has made a big difference to this he team. Has. Like
1: everyone was focusing on the OBJ thing, and I don't think this was some masterful like bait and switch, you know. Uh, wave over here and then you do something complicated with your left hand i think they just ended up stumbling into ty hilton while they were trying to negotiate for the the obj thing but hilton it turns out still has some juice left in there um and when you have cd lamb doing what he does when you have michael gallup working his way back like hilton has been making some plays in every single game since they signed him that's that's quite a big addition to that offense.
0: It's like Dallas stumbling into Dak Prescott when they were looking for Paxton Lynch. Yeah. Stumbling into T.Y. Bit. where they were looking in uh, looking to Odell Beckham. On Tennessee's side, Joshua Dobbs, who had been with the team for about 10 days, he got the start. Former uh, Tennessee, University of Tennessee mm-hmm. quarterback and bounced around the league, former Steeler. Various other teams I wasn't even aware of, I guess. <laughs> so he hasn't played a whole lot. Initially, the thought was, was was it because Malik Willis was uh, benched or mm-hmm. was it because the Titans were protecting him, protecting him for next week. Now Dobbs and the pa- the passing attack was far more effective with Dobbs under center than with Malik Willis. However, you, you know, he still had some bad decisions in there. He had an interception. Yeah. could have had an, another one in there. Still not good. Yeah. Still not great. So, but I do wonder if Tennessee says, we're a little bit more effective in the past game with Dobbs rather than uh, than Malik Willis. I mean, yeah.
1: You look at what like obviously Tennessee was focusing on the upcoming week, the win and in game that they're gonna have to take the division. And if they're asking themselves like what is the offense that gives us the best chance to win absent Ryan Tannehill, who I think was it before or after this game got officially placed at IR and therefore shut down. It was just for before this game, I think. We
0: knew this going in.
1: Yeah. yeah. So Tannehill's not coming back for the final game. It's going to be either Dobbs or Malik Willis. And if you're asking yourself, like, which one of these guys gives us, which offense or what offense do we build that gives us the best chance of winning this one game and the next game, I guess, as well, I still think it's some version of an offense that has Malik Willis as the quarterback. Now, obviously, it's going to be a very different offense than it is with either Tannehill or with – uh, Dobbs at quarterback, but if you lean into Malik Willis's rushing threat, like if you do, if you build some kind of Bears like offense the way they do with Justin Fields, that's, I think, your best chance. Like full read option looks every single play, right? I, I honestly think that opens up more space for Derrick Henry on the ground. I think that's your best way of winning.
0: Is this a time? I mean, the Titans are in desperate straits here right like they they, they there's some they they didn't win a game in december and they can still make the playoffs that's never happened in nfl history <laughs> would they go to a potential two quarterback system give the jags something yeah. crazy to prepare for we'll preview that of course on thursday but the point here was the, well, that's the other element of this right is that whether or not they do that
1: jacksonville now has to prepare for two quarterbacks because they just saw two in the space of a couple of weeks yeah
0: there might be something to that uh, as well the other thing is that game's going to be on saturday right so schedule wise we already know there's two games on saturday titans and jags in prime time saturday night um the titans do get the benefit of the extra couple days so if you are going to implement something new they did you know get a couple extra days to prepare the jags get one less day because they just played yesterday so there's something to that potentially um, but dallas wins 27 to 13 they're 12-4, and four. Titans fall to 7-9, and, and they haven't won a game since, uh, I don't know, ages ago. Halloween? When the heck was it? All right, let's go to yesterday's action. Um, I don't even know where to start. Let's just start. Let's go Patriots 23, Dolphins 21. We'll go through the 1 o'clock games here and uh, fly through some that didn't matter as much. But New England gets the win. This game was... Um, a little crazy because of all the injuries here. Mm. You had Teddy Bridgewater getting the start. There was no uh, over to a tongue of Iloa. You had Teron Armstead out at left tackle. Xavier Howard was out for the Dolphins. And the Patriots had only two cornerbacks. Two of their cornerbacks and their you know, three of their top five all injured. And they had to stitch it together in the secondary. So a lot of injuries on both sides. Teddy Bridgewater gets hurt about halfway through the game. Smacks his hand and broke a finger. Um, so he'll probably be questionable for next week I assume Skylar Thompson had to come in but New England pulls it off 23 to 21 that
1: play was like a perfect storm of nightmare for Teddy like bad decision on the follow-through cracks his hand off the helmet of another guy and then gets stiff armed into the turf on the way to the touchdown for the pick six like just start to finish was an absolute disaster for Teddy Bridgewater on that particular play um Teddy was taking some shots in this game. And was. Aggressive passes as opposed to getting hit. Um, like they, they – because that was one of the big questions is how come Teddy had looked like Teddy in this offense as opposed to looking more like Tua within this offense? Because in theory, they were kind of similar quarterbacks of guys that had been pegged as being too conservative, didn't really take deep shots, weren't as aggressive as he needed them to be. Uh, but then all of a sudden – Tyreek Hill, Mike McDaniel, the offense comes in, Tua looks like a different player. Teddy looked the same, though. It hadn't performed the same miracles uh, on Teddy as it had with Tua in the limited time he'd been in the game um, before this. He actually looked more aggressive in this game, though. He had a much uh, deeper average depth of target than you usually see from him, 10.7, which without checking feels like it has to be the, the highest average depth of target in Teddy's career. Um he was taking some shots deep down the field and was making some plays, and then that was a just a bad, like backbreaking
0: decision that almost cost them. Well, it did cost them a touchdown and kind of cost them the game. So it was fourteen to ten, Dolphins. This play that you're talking about. So it's late in third quarter. So Bridgewater did play the majority of the game, but um, Kyle Duggar. So so New England with no cornerbacks, right? They're bringing in uh, Tay Hayes is coming in playing football for them. They played uh, four safeties pretty extensively, but, uh, and they played about six uh, snaps of man coverage. So New England, um, they had been trending toward playing more zone anyway this season, but they usually play 30 35% man coverage. They, they played six snaps of man coverage with, none, with no corners there. On this particular play, good little scheme, inverted cover two. Kyle Duggar's playing the, the inside linebacker, the Mike linebacker position here. And he just robs the middle of the field, makes a great play and a really athletic return. Remember, Kyle Duggar was the mm. the first draft pick of the post Tom Brady era, right? They had a second round pick. He's this uh, you know small school safety, really athletic, and he's made it's the second pick six of the season. Made some really nice plays here. So Bridgewater uh, a little force into coverage. Duggar makes a great play that ended up being uh, not the actual difference in the game but a huge difference in the game because it was this game was trudging along for a while 7-7 for a while into the third quarter Dolphins got up and then this put the Patriots ahead for uh, for good and took Bridgewater out of the game
1: this game also featured a weird breakdown in the Miami defense on consecutive plays they were the Patriots got it down to the low red zone and then Miami lines up on defense without covering the slot receiver Like at all You know, you see this happen sometimes. Something breaks down. A guy is is not covered. Somebody doesn't go out to cover a particular wide receiver. And usually NFL teams are pretty good at spotting that and, you know, taking advantage of it. Free play, essentially. So Miami lines up, doesn't cover a receiver at all. Uh, I think the receiver was Tyquan Thornton. Was like, you know, waving to the quarterback. Like, hey, there's nobody here. Throw me the ball quickly. New England either doesn't see it or doesn't care. And tries to run right up the gut anyway uh they end up getting saved this time by themselves calling a timeout um before running it so remember like a couple weeks ago where they scored the touchdown and had it taken off the board because they called a timeout and yes you know took their own touchdown off the board they did it again only this time i don't think they were going to get in called a timeout thought about it they then line up again coming out of the timeout and miami did it again they didn't cover a receiver again this time coming out of the timeout, forgot a receiver. And this time, it wasn't even the slot guy. There was one receiver out on his own, and they didn't cover him. Like, a linebacker ends up getting made to look like an idiot because this time the Patriots did take advantage of it and threw the ball to the open receiver, and the linebacker was, like, the closest guy to sort of realizing, "Uh uh-oh, something bad's happened here. I've got to run over and try and make a play. And he ends up sort of almost contesting it and just looking like he got beat, right? But the dude like the linebacker had no business like he sh- it's not his guy you know what I mean somebody should have been out there I how like I said sometimes it happens you line up and you've just somehow not covered a receiver that it happened twice on consecutive plays the second of which was coming out of a timeout is genuinely
0: inexcusable defense Ben Stockwell chimes in because he was just uh, reviewing this game he said they didn't have any corners on the play uh, on the field on that play. Fezlum and uh, Javon Holland were the only DBs on the field. A couple safeties.
1: Which feels like a personnel problem if you've, you know, come
0: out of a, a huddle and they had a wide receiver in there. Like, really bad. Plan? Really bad. That was uh, that captain uh, 11 play, 89 yard drive by the Patriots. They went up 23 to 14. Dolphins came back with a late touchdown to Mike Gisicchi, Um But it wasn't enough after the uh, onside kick was recovered by New England. So, Patriots are alive. They're uh, they're eight and eight. They're currently the number seven seed in the AFC. If they can beat Buffalo next week, they're in. If they lose to Buffalo next week, which uh, could be a meaningless game for the Bills, depending on what happens tonight and depending on what happens with the Chiefs next Saturday, but it's, it's doubtful. It's doubtful that it's meaningless. Mm-hmm. So the Patriots probably have to beat a, a loaded, you know, fully loaded Bills team, and then the Dolphins will need some help, right? They're going to have to. They need New England to lose, and they're going to have to win next week against the Jets to get into the playoffs after a great start in Miami 23
1: total pressures from just four guys for the Patriots Judon Josh Uche Dietrich Wise those are the three guys that have been getting pressure off the edge all season and, and then, then Christian Barmore who had a monster
0: game Christian Barmore the former second round pick from 2021 highest grade of his career if it stands yeah it'll probably stand at this point so Barmore was very disruptive Patriots maybe finding another effective pass rusher in this one the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group while you focus on your roster moves Western and Southern helps advance your money moves buying your first home planning to start a family wondering how to make your money grow well Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance investment and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you get started at westernsouthern.com PFF alright where else do we want to go here from yesterday usually I stick with the AFC East but they played a four o'clock game the Jets
1: hmm
0: that throws off your whole system it does it really does New York Giants 38 Colts 10 we'll touch on this quickly okay Giants clinch a playoff spot they're nine six and one really dominant outing here for the Giants and uh Colts fall to 411 and one they just looked uh inept once again on that side of the ball
1: Another on the offensive one.
0: side of the ball in particular.
1: Another tough one for Coach Saturday. Uh, yeah, I mean, Nick
0: Foles, bad again, So he and gets, then hurt. So he gets knocked out of the game on a complete protection bust. Really he, bad, because two people were unblocked. Two like, people unblocked, Gavon Thibodeau included. Right, the DB had to get out of the way of Gavon Thibodeau, yeah. who was also unblocked. Meanwhile, Foles is looking to the opposite side of the field and, and about to like pump fake. right? Yeah. So you've got an overload blitz. And this is you know the beauty of uh, Wink and the and the Giants. You have an overload blitz. Nick uh, Foles completely unaware. I think there's probably some issue with Foles on this play and there's some issue with the protection scheme, which also could be Foles. Hmm. And um, Kayvon Thibodeau basically gets a free run at him, spikes him into the turf, and uh, Foles gets knocked out of the game. Sam Ellinger has to come in and finish it. And that was kind of like the – not the least of the worries here, but it was after Foles was having a tough time of it outside of a uh, a patented Nick Foles YOLO ball that went for 49 yards to Paris Campbell. Outside of that, the Colts did not do much offensively.
1: Yeah, and that's basically all Nick Foles has been trying to do since he's come into the lineup is just heave it deep and hope that he's been trying to play Taylor Heineke ball, which, to be fair, was kind of Nick Foles' ball before Heineke made it his own. Um, and it's not been working. It's not been going well. Yeah, like uh, – so that was weird. Um, every, every time Isaiah Hodgins makes a play because he's number 18, I sort of think, oh, is Kenny Galladay alive? And then, no, it's, it's Isaiah Hodgins. Kenny Galladay got one snap in this game.
0: Hodgins was a good college receiver that I thought would get a little bit more love come draft time, and he's, he's made do. Former Bill, he had four catches and a touchdown. Richie James once again with, uh, with a nice game. And Daniel Jones with an effective game. He got away with one early. Uh, thrown to a linebacker but finishes 19 of 24 for 177 another 91 yards on the ground and two scores yes for daniel jones showing really good speed to the edge on a couple plays including the one scramble
1: daniel jones is the most confusingly effective running quarterback (laughs) that i can ever remember he's fast he is but he he's fast he's fast athletic and strong and doesn't look like any of it he's fast and will he's a long strider yeah long strider He's like I, I don't know. It just doesn't look like it should work, and it does consistently. Yeah. He does, however, take more weird, unnecessary, and seemingly accidental big shots than any quarterback I can think of. Like
0: I could told, protect himself a little bit better, yeah.
1: But there's sometimes where it's like there are times where sometimes you're you're running at a guy, a defender. You're one on one. You try and put a move on him, and somehow he just reads it perfectly. And what you end up doing is actually making it worse. Than if you just run straight at a weak shoulder, for example. Like, if you try and juke him and he reads it and you end up duking right into his leverage, you end up taking a bigger shot than if you just run straight at his, you know, at his weak shoulder and taking uh, like a half heavy shot. Jones seems to do that a lot where he'll like run up, he'll see he's one on one with a guy. He's decided he's not going to take the easy way out and slide like, you know, a quarterback potentially should. He's decided he's going to take advantage of that you know, God-given rushing talent, and make a move on the guy. Only he gets it wrong, and he ends up making a move right into, like, a drilled hit from a linebacker. Or, you know, he's going to have to take a shot just to get to the end zone and make the t- – Just, I don't know. He just seems to always take these
0: massive shots that at some point feel like they should be a problem. Would it surprise you if I told you that Daniel Jones currently ranks 20th all-time in single-season rushing yards for a quarterback?
1: Yes, I mean you could have stopped after all time, and anything at the end of that would surprise
0: me. So Daniel Jones currently seven hundred eight rushing yards. He's um, a little bit behind Cam Newton from two (laughs) thousand twelve. So the stats for Daniel Jones this year almost identical to Cam Newton's second year in the NFL. Of course, Um, few few fewer yards, about the same yards per carry. Same. He's got seven touchdowns, Jones. Um, and when we go back and, you know, he gets, still has another game. When we go back and look at the 2022 Giants and trying to figure them out, Jones' rushing ability is a big, a big part of it. No, this isn't the first time we've mentioned it on the show here because he's had, he's had games where he's had seven or eight first downs. He's had, but a game like this um, where the thing about rushing quarterbacks, when, when there's not anything there in the passing game, there's a couple plays like that, right, where Jones is – he just beat a blitz on one that touchdown maybe it was the touchdown he just beat a blitz with his legs for 13 yards on one instead of throwing hot he just beat his legs i beat the blitz with his legs um when there's nothing there in the passing game daniel jones being able to make a little bit happen a little bit in the design running game i think that's the those are like the sneaky hidden yards that have helped make the giants the number six seed in the nfc this year look it's
1: what all the scouting reports said at the time just another cam newton you know and that's what's being born
0: out in the nfl I mean, I my comparison was uh, on the other side today, or yesterday. Nick Foles, my uh, Your Daniel Jones. My Daniel Jones comp was Nick Foles, and obviously it, there's quite a large difference between Nick Foles and Cam Newton. Well, yeah, as passers, Daniel Jones and Nick Foles. As no. runners, not so much. No. Um, the other key play here is 14 to three, late second quarter. Nick Foles with a pick six to uh, Giants legend Landon Collins. Yeah. Back with the Giants this season with a pick six. That put it a, that made it 21-3 and pretty much insurmountable a bad pick for six. the Colts. Um, anyway. Evan Neal Gi- had a pretty good game.
1: Who? Evan Neal. Right tackle. Rookie. Oh. Giants. Good. Been struggling
0: this year. Did
1: Didn't struggle so much this game.
0: Not yesterday. That's important. Nice note yeah. from you. Thanks. So the Giants are locked in to the sixth seed. And the Colts are locked in to no higher, by my quick math, no higher than the fifth pick in the NFL draft don't think they can get any higher than number five they could be as low as six at least six or seven but they'd have to like win a game for that to happen. they would have to win next yeah. week against are they playing Houston I think it's Houston hmm. I'm assuming all the division games all right let's go uh New Orleans Saints 20 Philadelphia Eagles 10 so the Saints they moved to seven and nine they thought they could have been playing for their playoff lives they needed a lot of things to happen but more importantly the Eagles fall to 13 and three and are in danger of losing the number one seed as they head into next week against the Giants. Now yeah. they'll play the Giants who locked up the sixth seed and have nothing else to play for. But yeah, not a great game for Philly. No,
1: like the idea a couple of weeks ago that Philadelphia might not get that number one seed seemed kind of ridiculous. Like they needed to lose out. Dallas needed to win out. You know, it seemed <laughs> unlikely. And all of a sudden... Philadelphia have lost those two games. Alice have won those two games, and it's just that one game against the Giants remaining who, sure, they've nothing to play for. On the other hand, it is a division game. They're probably not just going to give it up. Um, and this, I, I think a week ago was, Philadelphia didn't come out of that badly, you know? Sure, they lost. Yes, it was against Dallas. That's not a great, uh, a great outcome, but they looked fine, you know? And Minshew, in particular, looked fine. This game was a little bit more concerning though because the offense didn't look fine
0: um you're just referring to the offense because the eagles as yeah, a whole sure. were terrible defensively against the cowboys right and honestly i do think but, that but
1: dallas has a good offense
0: so no i get it but i think that might be the more concerning thing is that philly's defense was that susceptible going into the playoffs where they might have to play the 49ers the cowboys again and yeah. You know, better yeah but the
1: offense completely disappearing in this game was problematic. Um, also, as they've had the number one offensive line <clears throat> in the NFL all season long. They've been number one in, pre- in PFF's offensive line rankings for the preseason rankings and then every single week of the year. Without Lane Johnson at right tackle, it's very different. Like Jack Driscoll just
0: is- – There were some issues there with Driscoll for yeah, sure.
1: he is absolutely not at that kind of level. And, again, it's another one of those situations like Cincinnati where – you can deal with that but you kind of need to have a plan every play which is so, doable again but it's just it tie it puts you into this little box where you can't do everything you want to because every play you have to think all right what are we doing to help the right tackle and if the answer is nothing what is the
0: play we're running because it now has a time limit attached to it yeah Gardner Minshew was sacked six times and so it, it it's easy to say well they missed Lane Johnson. He was sacked six times. I think the actual sacks were a lot. Right, but two of them came from Driscoll. Yes, but but beyond that, I do think a lot of them were on Minshew, and there were, there were plays where the Saints were just, just covering it down the field, right? There were some coverage sacks in there where this is where the difference between Gardner Minshew and Jalen Hurts showed up, right? Jalen Hurts has had a lot of plays where he this year where he just doesn't have anybody open down the field, and he makes something of it with, with his legs. Minshew tries, to make something happen but uh get set right so there's um there's where you saw that difference right where you didn't see the difference between Hertz and Minshew outside of a couple of miscommunications in that Dallas game on Christmas Eve in this particular game Minshew was unable to do anything uh when when it was covered up down the field for the Eagles
1: yeah um Andy Dalton on the other end started on fire I think started 13 to 13 uh and then and then it was like He started so well that he kind of forgot he was Andy Dalton, you know, and threw an interception that was – it was the kind of throw Andy Dalton can't make, let's be fair. It was a far hash uh, trying to thread it into a hole in the zone (laughs) after double pumping. It's like, okay, that requires a level of arm strength. That particular throw that you've never had and you certainly don't have now, even though you just started 13 for 13. Like, leave that throw – to the Josh Allen's of the world. You do not have that particular club in your bag. And I don't know, I forget
0: who the DB was, but ends up just dropping underneath it and picking it off. The other key plays in this game uh, the Eagles, so there's three, three massive plays in this game. Um, the only touchdown for the Eagles was A.J. Brown, where he just, you know, his cornerback just gets wrecked, falls to the ground. He just, he went full dude and dominated the guy. Yeah, full dude. Thank you. Um, Paulson Adebo, AJ Br- AJ Brown just creates explosive plays out of nothing. This was a nothing play. It was a jump ball that didn't look like a jump ball because his corner, you know, Adebo was on the ground, but AJ Brown just catches it and outruns the defense for 78 yards. That's the only touchdown for the Eagles. That's one. Um, the other one was, um, Kenneth Gainwell did not have an official carry in this game, but if he had, it would it would have been a 31 yard touchdown that was negated by a Landon Dickerson. Holding call. Terrible call. Really bad call. It was one of those, right, like Gainwell makes the cut, Dickerson's blocking his guy who's trying to get into the gap, and then he buries him, right? And those are the plays that are usually holding, right? The guy who looks like he's about to make the tackle gets pancaked or tackled, right, using his momentum against him. Those are usually holding calls, right? Usually because the offensive lineman gets his hands outside the frame and all that stuff. But if you go back, Dickerson had – Perfect hand position, and uh, Ben, make sure we give proper credit for Dickerson on this play, unless you disagree. But it looked like just a pure pancake and the Eagles' second touchdown, but it got negated. They settled for a field goal instead. Uh, wasn't the actual difference in the game, but obviously it was huge.
1: I mean, it was a four-point um, penalty. Yeah, a four-point. They penalty. get a field
0: goal at the end of it, but that penalty cost them four points, um, and that would have made it thirteen to ten, right? Thirteen to or thirteen to seven that was just before the the A.J. Brown touchdown so it was a close game and then Gardner Minshew with the pick six to the returning Marshawn Lattimore great read by Lattimore takes it to the house and that uh sealed the deal for the Saints with uh not much time left in the fourth yeah that was bad um great
1: like I said great jump on the ball by Lattimore very bad by Minshew which was it I mean that's Reasonably uncharacteristic from Inche. We've made the point before that he's generally been pretty careful with the football. That was a careless pass attempt in a must pass situation and cost him the game. You there are two things that you forgot to mention in this game though. Number one, Brandon Graham reached ten sacks for the season. And you get nothing out of it because you were cowardly and pathetic and you didn't re-up the bet even though people said it would auto-renew. You actually went out of your way to not renew this bet. You lost faith
0: in Brandon Graham, and he has proved you wrong. I mean, it's not my best year for (laughs) decision-making this year. We know that across the board.
1: Number two, the New Orleans Saints stopped a double-cheek push play. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that part. Yeah, they went for it. I think it was fourth and one. Um, They went full double-cheek push.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, the Eagles got stuffed.
1: And they got stuffed. Now, there was a lot mechanically wrong with the double-cheek push. Was that good mauling? Minshew went too high. His pad level was off. The, there was a lot wrong with the hand placement on the cheeks, you know? Gainwell maybe went in, like, up around the, the torso, trying to, like, that's not going to work. you got to be full. you got to get under
0: the Hertz cheek. Has a, Hertz has a better base.
1: Yeah, because well, the squatting is 600 pounds, you know? That yeah. gives you a lot of cushion for the pushing. And... I'm just saying that... Legit pushing here. There was there was a lot wrong with the double-cheek push. Great credit to New Orleans for stopping it, but I think that was a failure of execution on the double-cheek push, which is still unstoppable unless you screw
0: it up. Yeah, that's big news. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30, 34-year-old Brandon Graham <sighs> with a
1: double-digit sack season. Hell of a year for him. Seriously. Like... It didn't look like this was within his range of outcomes anymore, and yet he's really bounced back with a great season as more of a situational player now. You know, not so much of a uh, you know full time guy. He's crushing
0: it. Incredible career from Brandon Graham for Eagles fans. The only other time that he's had double digit sacks, including the playoffs, was 2017 when they won the Super Bowl hmm. in Philadelphia. Um, Rashid Shaheed remains uncoverable as well. <laughs>
1: That was well done. Thank you. He said that quickly, deliberately.
0: I, I was nervous. That. Yeah. I was nervous because it is a tongue twister sometimes. But yeah, Shahid continues to get open deep, man. Yeah. He's Saints, really
1: good. The Saints receiving core is a fun group. Like, it's actually – there's a lot of talent,
0: a lot of variety in that group. That, that's what I want to say. Like, the the Saints defense playing as well as they didn't – because they, they sacked Minshew six times, as we mentioned. Things were – they they covered really well outside of the 178-yarder. The Saints being 7-9 and – is one of the curious parts of this season for me because I think they do have a good, solid defense. Dalton played well this year. They've When the receivers have been healthy, they have some weapons, right? There's, like, a lot of good things on the field for the Saints, and they just didn't win a ton of games. I
1: mean, I would be fascinated, you know, in the, in the world of what ifs. What if you took this group of receivers, this version of Andy Dalton playing the way he's been and let Sean Payton coach them for a year? What would that have looked like?
0: You think Dennis Allen could be the difference here?
1: I mean, I think the difference between Dennis Allen and Sean Payton as the offensive mind behind this team is a needle mover. And actually, in this year above all others, like if Sean Payton just hung around, he had a he had a playoff team.
0: Yeah. Again, I'd, they play some good games, man. The Saints just it's just not there every single week. All right, Cleveland Browns twenty four, Washington Commanders ten. Browns move to 7-9, and nine. Commanders fall to 7-8-1, and one, and they are officially eliminated from playoff contention. We can be eliminated today? Huh? Turns out Ron didn't know. The somewhat inside joke there that people don't realize, Ron Rivera, Washington Commanders head coach, was unaware that when they lost this game, there was a chance that later that afternoon, had the Green Bay Packers won, the Commanders would get eliminated. The question was... Have you thought about having Sam Howell start next week if you get eliminated? <laughs> Whereas Ron had the awkward pause. We don't have the video for this, right? We didn't fire it up. We well, certainly
1: a, no, not. I mean, it exists, and it would have been probably quite easy.
0: It to. just feels like something that you would have already had spooled up, but you didn't. No, I didn't. Um, but Rivera paused for about five seconds and said, "We could be eliminated." Like and, a uh, vacant and they look. Were.
1: Yeah, vacant look in his face while he com- you know we ran through this and then went, "We can be eliminated." They're like, "Yeah." Like, if the Packers win, you're done. You're out of here. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, okay.
0: Who I do don't it? know how much – how much does that actually matter? I mean, look, in this world of, like – Would the game differently knowing that there's no next week if you lose? I mean, You know you, know you have to win. You still know you have to win. I just – in this world of, like,
1: you know, coaching decisions and do you have all the available information that, you know, the, we keep talking about how the reason analytics is really good is because you're bringing in all the available information –
0: he didn't even know that they could be eliminated in this game. That's problematic. I mean, that doesn't affect your win probability or anything. It shouldn't affect any in-game decision. The only in-game decision that affects is like injury status. Right? Like if it, as a player, you're going to grind it out a little bit more because there is no tomorrow, right? If we lose this game, the mm. Packers could win and we're eliminated. The only thing is who you play and maybe where you play them. There's no in-game decision that's like, oh man, our season's on the line. I got to go for it now. Like you're still trying to maximize win probability and win the game. Um, the thing that lowered win probability the most though, was probably starting Carson Wentz, which um, did not go so well. He finishes 16 of 28 for 143 with three interceptions, sacked three times, pass a rating of 31.4, four total turnover worthy plays for Carson Wentz. And, um, Look, I've been an advocate for a little more YOLO from Carson Wentz after all last year. But this was too much. I think we're down to three turnover-worthy plays. Oh, down to three turnover-worthy plays. I should have. Should have checked my notes. Hmm. Should have checked again. So it was all three interceptions. And um, all three interceptions looked like Carson Wentz has been sitting there watching Taylor Heineke for the last seven or eight weeks saying, man, this dude gets away with throwing the ball into double coverage. I could do that. Hmm. Because every single one was thrown into double coverage and none of them had a chance. Well, not every single one, but... At least two of them were thrown into double coverage without a prayer. Yeah,
1: it's like the secret to the to the vibes from Heineke have been just going YOLO and giving my guys a chance to make plays. I mean, I can do that plus five yards. I got a bigger arm than him. I can make I can make even more spectacular YOLO balls into double coverage deep downfield. I mean, this yeah. is the problem with when your quarterback decision making process is based off like have we won a game last week? If if yes, start the same guy. If no, go to the other dude. Like it's it's based off nothing, so all of a sudden you throw in Carson Wentz, who's just out here like heaving the ball blindly downfield, and it doesn't work out
0: this time. So right, now so you just look dumb. We listen, but we what should they have done? What should who should Washington have started? Because you sit here every single week and trash Taylor Heineke. This dude's you know he's not good. He gets away with all this stuff. Who's the better quarterback, Carson Wentz or Taylor Heineke? Who should they have started? There is no better quarterback. There is only bad. My only. You have to start someone though, Sam. If you
1: were Ron Rivera. My only request in all of this has been for a logical process that is not blindly writing whoever feels good this week. It's like, give me a reason. I don't even care what the reason is. Give me a reason that one of these guys should start over the other. And the reason is not we won a game last week or we've won a couple of games in the last few weeks. That's not a reason. That's an outcome. That is something happened For the team, 53 or 45 guys dressed and we won the game, right? That's not telling me why one of these guys should start over the other. Give me a reason. One of these guys is giving his receivers a chance to make a play. Whatever your reason is, come up with a logical differentiator between these two quarterbacks and explain that is why one of them is starting versus the other one. They never did that because I don't think they actually have one. They just decided, ah, it feels good for this guy right now. And now it doesn't, so we're going to go back to the other guy. Now it doesn't feel good for either of them. They both made mistakes recently, and therefore they both lost
0: games. Yeah, feels like a tough position to be in if you're trying to start a quarterback in Washington. I didn't hate the move to put Wentz in, but again, go with the opposite of what I've said hmm. all season. Um, this was Wentz's worst game of the season, and it's officially his worst year. Um, it's, you know he, he only played, what, eight games, but... In to, in 2020, Carson Wentz was the worst starting quarterback in the NFL for the Eagles before he got benched for Jalen Hurts. He had a 60 passing grade. Right now, he's at 59. Right now, so he's he's worse than his worst season. So it's bad for Wentz, probably his future in Washington. This was ugly, man. I mean, it was it was really just some um, some prayers. Yeah. Yeah. And Granted, the, one of those prayers became a touchdown one time against the Vikings, but uh, not in this one. The, the Browns caught them.
1: And, well, yeah, and even in this game, there were, like, flashes, right? Like, fourth and three, they were basically do or die at this point. He a makes a nice a pass point. to Cam Sims. To be honest, it was more of a great play by Sims than it was from Wentz, but, you know, you had a, a do or die final moment. Remember, like, 2017, his MVP caliber type of season, the whole thing was built off, like, clutch plays and third and fourth down you know, improbable high leverage situations. He had one of those in this game, made it, and then, like, almost immediately after, just blindly heaves it into double coverage again. You're like, what? How? How do? You, how is the same guy making those two plays? Like, brilliant clutch play to the one place it can go on fourth and three to keep the game alive one second, and then the next play, well, we've dodged that bullet. Let's just close our eyes and go, yeah again. Like, what? How does that work? I told you.
0: He's been watching the Heineke film. He's been watching this work. I wouldn't watch what I He was watching Heineke, Heineke during the winning streak, and he's like, I need more of that. I wouldn't use Heineke tape as teaching tape if I was a quarterback. You see, I'm, I'm being a little facetious here.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, also, terrible. So there was some interesting DB play in this game. Uh, Martin Emerson had another great game, a couple of pass breakups they were pretty yeah, uh, pretty big plays on the other hand kendall fuller had one of the most pitiful tackle attempts you're ever going to see on a receiver and turned like a routine first down pass for amari cooper into a touchdown by just not even getting close to a tackle like just ran up it was like he's playing two-hand touch ran up put two hands on him
0: and then fell over and cooper just runs down the sideline for a touchdown yeah the cooper yeah i was gonna suggest the uh See, I look at it from a positive spin. You look at it from a negative spin. Yeah. I was going to talk about the Amari Cooper breakout here, you know, the, the Watson to Cooper connection. Yeah, because... well, it's
1: very easy to break out when the <laughs> one guy on that side of the field
0: just falls over rather than tackles you. Amari Cooper with three catches for 105 yards and two touchdowns, 105 of the 169 passing yards for Deshaun Watson. Watson had only nine completions. So he solved the uh, winning games with only nine completions. Mm. Standard that we Another set for him. Another box checked. Yep, check that back. box. Watson had nine completions and was sacked five times. He had some exciting, uh, you know, plays where he broke free from sacks. Yeah.
1: There was um, a
0: couple of plays yesterday
1: league-wide where every now and again you're reminded just how freaking hard it is to be a defensive lineman now in terms of what you can and can't do to the quarterback. The was it Was it this one? I forget which order it was, but this was a play I think where – the guy was, had a free run through to the quarterback and basically pulled up thinking that the guy had thrown the ball and then he just breaks out of the pocket and runs. And it's like, okay, on the one hand, you're going to say, you got to finish that play because this can happen. On the other hand, if he does finish the play, there's a reasonable chance that he gets flagged for a rough in the passer. That, that's a really fine line to have to thread for a defensive lineman. Like you're asking Great. a lot of those guys now in a very short period of time with very imperfect information you know what I mean like bodies are flying around you trying to navigate space between offensive linemen and defensive linemen with a quarterback about to throw the ball and or run and or whatever and you have to figure out does he still have the ball was I close enough that I can hit him anyway if I hit him can I figure out how to do it without hitting him in the head and taking him to ground and landing on him and then if you don't do all that stuff, there's a chance that a guy like Watson or any of these athletic free quarterbacks can just run for another 10 yards and make you
0: look like a moron. Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge playing defense in the league. Um, shout out to the Browns' run defense, their defensive front. I pretty much called them out on every single preview show thinking that the opposing team's going to run all over them, but they did a nice job in this game. Taven Bryan with a huge game. Chase Winovich coming off the bench. Jadavian Clowney, all solid. Up front. Denzel Ward had a nice game, as you mentioned, with uh, opposite Emerson. So the Browns defense, you know, sometimes at the end of the season, you finally start to see things that you expected, you know, weeks <laughs> ago. The Browns defense in the second half of the season has shown Browns much are, better.
1: The Browns are finally rounding into form ready for this playoff run.
0: Yeah. Um, I mentioned, too, Like, I feel like my, my, my body clock is only still only adjusted to 17 weeks. Like, my, my body's telling me it's wild card round right now. But there's another week. Yeah. It's another week to grind through. Well, the here.
1: good news is, okay, we got another week of the, of the regular season. And, you know, you're 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 reaching the point where you're kind of flagging, you know, it's Monday, you need seven more shots in the coffee, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But remember last year, like wild card weekend was insane. If we get another one of those, divisional well, the playoffs generally,
0: like once yeah. the playoffs started. wild card was insane. I mean, there was, it, but they, and then they they drag it out to a Monday night game and yeah, everything. Yeah. Now,
1: once the playoffs started, we got some insane games. So, in theory, the quality of the football will bring us back. It, it will. will
0: revitalize us. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic. The gauntlet is open for drafting on underdog fantasy. It's a playoff best ball tournament with a million dollars in total prizes and a hundred thousand first place prize. Just draft your team before the NFL playoffs start. So you're running out of time here. And that's it. So draft and just let them go. Drafting players will rack up a bunch of fantasy points and advancing deep into the playoffs is key to this style of contest. If you haven't signed up for underdog yet, use the promo code PFF and you'll get your first deposit up to $100 matched. This is a no-brainer. Get into the gauntlet for you know little uh, underdog fantasy playoff best ball tournament. The promo code is PFF. Let's go. Um, so Washington's eliminated mm-hmm. from the playoffs. Here they were in the mix for the seven seed. The seven seed now is going to be between the Packers, Lions, or the Seahawks. Yep. So there you go. Um, let's go. Bucks thirty, Panthers twenty four. The battle for the NFC South. The Bucks have clinched the NFC South with their eight and eight record. Panthers fall to six and ten. There was a point though. The Panthers were less than a quarter away. Yeah. from being um, in the driver's seat. They wouldn't have clinched the division, but they would have been uh, controlling their own destiny in the NFC South. But the Bucks go 20 straight points in the fourth quarter to get up. It still got um, got a little crazy at the end. It took one of the best plays you'll ever see from a punter. and um, But ultimately this was you know, Tom Brady and Mike Evans just taking over for the first time all season – Starting to, you know, a little flashback to what they had done in 20 and 21.
1: Yeah, we were very close to three teams in this division. I think only three, right? Atlanta were done. Um, Three teams in this division being alive in the final week of the season to take the division crown, each of whom would take it with a winning, with a losing record, rather. And then finally, Tampa Bay gets their crap together for long enough to just eke out a win against Carolina, against the Sam Darnold-led Carolina Panthers team that have already fired their coach weeks ago uh, and finally haul themselves over the finish line to host a playoff game.
0: Yeah, the Panthers got up 14 to nothing. They had two separate 10-point leads in this game. They're up 14-nothing early. Sam Darnold, I mentioned on the preview show, I think his arm looks great. He's zipping it around. He had a beautiful touchdown to Tommy Tremble um dj moore won at the catch point for a 24 yarder dj moore had a great game dj moore was great at the catch point right don't you think of dj moore is like hey he's this really good route runner and all that stuff he i don't want to say mossed you don't know, want to overuse that but he won at the catch point against jamel dean on a on a prayer um had the 24 yard touchdown moore had an excellent game but um every time the bucks fell down uh, fell behind brady hit evans for uh for a deep ball 63 yarder in the second quarter a 57 yarder early fourth quarter and then a 30 yarder that um, gave the Bucks the lead for the first time in the fourth quarter that was a huge part of the game this was by far Brady's best game by far Evans best game and the Bucks' offense from start to finish easily their best game they missed a couple field goals in there too they easily could have put up a lot more points was the first time all season the Bucks looked anything like the 2020 and 21 versions that were you know maybe the best offensive team in the league
1: yeah and it showed that theoretically it's still there you know like this thing can work yeah. as much as it's, it seems absurd that this team is going to host a playoff game and you know go up against a good wild card team it like it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they show up and have a game like that offensively and beat somebody like it the potential is still there it's just we had not seen any real suggestion that it was going to
0: come together um it was an interesting one too because um Last week, Carolina ran like crazy. Neither running game was effective in this one. The both, both run defenses were much better. It really was Sam Darnold trying to go blow for blow with Brady. Early on, it was working. There was a, a weird turnover just before the half where the ball was snapped early and Darnold fumbled it and the Bucs were essentially gifted an extra three points. And, um, and then it gets to the end of the game, right? So the, the Panthers were up 11 in the fourth before you know it like i said bucks score 20 straight points they're up nine so the bucks are in control of the game the panthers driving in the fourth quarter and um by the way i just want to reiterate greg olson unbelievable again as far as uh just his color commentary and everything greg olson's just fantastic but he highlighted a whole bunch of whole bunch of stuff on the fly in this game well he had to be on his
1: game because uh he's going up against his successor here you know can't, oh yeah, can't roll into it with Tom Brady taking right. his
0: taking his number one spot. It's Greg like, Olson should be the number one man for Fox. Right, for it's the like nothing. Future. Nothing
1: motivates a quarterback more than drafting his replacement. Well, Greg Olson was going to cover the game of the guy who's going to be his replacement in the booth.
0: Yeah, so he's just he's really informative. He's quick. I mean, you don't realize how quick it is when you're doing color and, and being able to uh, analyze things. I think I think he was great, um, but he did highlight. Look, the Panthers have they're they're down nine. And they kicked, what, a 50-yard field goal, 49-yard field goal to cut the deficit to six and, um, and then try to get the, you know, the onside kick. Didn't get it, but they still had a chance to get the ball back. Um, they stopped the Bucks on three plays. So, the, so what's happening here is the Bucks are going to punt, presumably put the Panthers at, at about the 10-yard line, and that's it, right? You know, the Panthers have about 30 seconds, no timeouts. To go the length of the field for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the punter's name? <laughs> I don't
1: know. I was about to say Jake You Camarda. had this whole thing set up to finally praise a punter, a special teams guy. There's like a couple of people. It's that rookie Jake Kamara. Big punter fans keep lamenting the lack of punter coverage on this show, you know. And you you set it up perfectly to finally praise one of these punters, I was, I'm and another, you didn't even know his name.
0: I'm another like. Cup of coffee away, I would have had it. Jay Camarda, I know, it's the rookie. So there's a... It almost looked like Camarda was like two yards deeper than he should have been. The long snap short hops him. So this is potential disaster for the Bucks, right? Their, their, their division title might come down to this bad long snap. It's a low snap. Camarda picks it up. Now, if he gets tackled, if he gets tackled, the Panthers are going to be in Bucks territory... And all they need is a touchdown with about 30 seconds left. More than, Probably close to a minute. They got all this time left to score a touchdown. Kamarta picks it up, scrambles, sprints to the sideline, shows a little burst in speed, and barely gets the punt off. Now, the punt itself was incredible. It, it rolls to about the 10-yard line, 5-yard line, whatever it was. But it's illegal, right? Because this isn't college. There's uh, illegal man downfield, yeah. right, outside of the gunners in in the nfl once again olsen mentions this right away right so what Kamara did was essentially earned the penalty he earns the illegal man downfield which is about 30 yards 40 yards better than just getting tackled or throwing it away or anything else we basically earns a do-over minus five yards yes right so the the penalty is five yards so that he can actually you know give the long snapper another chance punch the ball and get the panthers inside the 10 or 15 yard line which which they eventually did so this was actually one of the most amazing plays you'll see from a punter as Camarda just scrambles out and saves, basically, earns a penalty to save about 40, 45 yards of field position. Um, it still would have been tough for the Panthers to win, but, I mean, that would have been, they had almost zero chance when it came, uh, once that, that punt was. Well, then they
1: finally, you know, they, they don't get anywhere and they run the, you know, crazy lateral play at the end, which actually had a chance. They, did.
0: they 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 got, uh, what, Chuba Hubbard into space.
1: Well, it had a chance, but the chance actually was before that. So they, they got, I think Chuba Hubbard starts working up the sideline, ends up sort of puts on a, a, a burst of speed, which takes him past the sort of the one second level player. And now he's into the secondary where obviously there's a wall of defenders that have set up specifically to stop this. But they had worked the narrow side to the point where if there had been, you know, a little bit of rugby knowledge in the group. Like you actually could have manufactured a two-on-one down the blind side, down the short side against that one defender and had a real chance to break that down the sideline. Instead, Hubbard works towards space, goes to the middle of the field where all the space is, but also all of the, like nobody else is there. You know what I mean? So all of a sudden, the only guy there left to pitch the ball to is an offensive lineman. And that's usually where the crazy, crazy
0: woo-woo play ends. You know, which is basically what happened. But it some, it somebody's, somebody's going to hire you as a consultant at some point. But
1: had he stayed on the blind side, right? There's two defenders. He's got one blocker out in front of him to take one of them out. And he has a support player up on, on his inside. So now you got a two-on-one. If you can draw that last defender and then pop the ball outside of you, that guy's gone.
0: Would you put in all your skill players as offensive linemen?
1: Yeah, I would think about play? it.
0: Yeah. That hasn't happened yet.
1: Because it's not like... Most of the time on these plays, either the ball is coming out quickly or the quarterback is running anyway. Like it's not like the offensive linemen are locking down the three-man rush as it is. So why not replace them with tight ends and
0: replace them? Replace them with skill position players. Even the quarterback, right? Like, unless you have an athletic quarterback. I mean, honestly, this should, be a,
1: this should be a special team's play. The hands team should run this with the quarterback. Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, that's what it should be. As but opposed to an offensive play, where you see just that the
0: future of the NFL here, man, especially with you consulting,
1: yeah. Um, why? I, I, every time I watch the Bucks play, I come away with the question: Why is Vita Vea not unblockable? <laughs> yeah, because every win he has, right, is the same. It's there's some kind of initial whatever, and then he grabs the dude in front of him and just throws him out of the way, right? the guy who usually is 300-plus pounds, there was one win he had where he tossed Bradley Bozeman. It was like you blocking Harry, right? You just deciding, all right, I've done, I've done with this fake thing now and voof, just launch the child out of the way, right? Only Vitave is doing that to 300-plus-pound offensive lineman. And like, if you can do that that regularly, why not just do it every play? Like, what is the, what's the preamble? Just don't wait. Grab the guy in front of you and throw him out of your way and go get the quarterback or the running back, whatever it is. Stop reading. Don't read and react. Just grab, toss, make play. That order every time. And do it until you're tired. And then come to the sideline. Get a rest. Have a banana. Whatever you want to do. Like, drink a coffee. And then get up, get back out there. And go toss a guy again. Right.
0: I do wonder about that. Why why is wins are really impressive? Why does it only show up but, every now and again? Why why couldn't Brady and Evans connect on a deep ball till week 17 of the season? I don't know. Well, that cuz people kept, you know, getting penalties and taking them off the board. Yeah, they kept waiting for those. Right? Cuz they did hit a deep ball against the 49ers a few weeks ago and there was a flag on the play. But it, it does feel to, de- to negate him. That if you're
1: that freaking dominant just physically versus the guys trying to block you, it really should show up more than it does for him. And we've seen it. Like last year, he was doing that all the time. Yeah. And then this year it's like every now and again he does it. You know, why? I don't understand. If you're that if you're capable of doing that as easily as you are, why does it not happen way more often?
0: So the Bucks win, they clinch the NFC South. They're gonna play essentially a meaningless game against the Falcons next week. There'll be debates about resting people and all that stuff. They'll host a playoff game. The most likely scenario is hosting against the Dallas Cowboys, but it still could be the Eagles. It could be, you know, it's either the Eagles or the Cowboys. There
1: are very few things more Dallas than looking this good down the stretch, rolling into a playoff game against what could be a losing record Tampa
0: Bay Buccaneers team and losing. Just say Mike, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin combined for 327 receiving yards yesterday. Brady to Evans and Godwin was back. Russell Gage has looked back. I mean, they It's only one game, but the fourth quarter of Arizona plus this game, the Bucks offense <laughs> looks back for five quarters. We'll see if they can carry that into the playoffs. Um Panthers wise man, I I wonder if they have a decision to make on Darnold. He's looked I think really good stop overall. it. What? You think the pan the decision for like a year. Bridge guy. He could be their bridge guy. <sighs> okay. Sam's playing well, running the ball well. All right, what are your alternatives? I'm not you even. Just I'm, give me alternatives. I'm not entertaining this. And don't conversation. say anything. Anything else? I'm not as you entertaining say. this conversation. We'll talk about it throughout the offseason. Kansas City Chiefs twenty-seven, Denver Broncos twenty-four. The Chiefs moved to thirteen and three, and um, they still have a shot at that number one seed depending on uh, tonight's game. Bills and Bengals. Broncos, another one where they they hung tough with the Chiefs. I uh, feel like another game where the Chiefs were a little self-inflicted. Mahomes with a, uh, I have to I have to highlight all Mahomes' mistakes. That's what I was... I thought you agreed not to do that anymore. Well, when he makes them, red zone interception feels like a lot of his a lot of his interceptions are in the red zone this year. Um, throws one right to Justin Simmons. Not a great play there, but look, the Chiefs' offense was still very good in this game. They end up pulling away in the fourth quarter. They were actually trailing going into the fourth quarter, at least for a play, um, and then they pulled away. And uh, Broncos did have a bit of a comeback attempt, right? Russell Wilson with a four-yard touchdown. I know you've got something to say about that. 75 play, uh, 75-yard drive, not plays, in the fourth quarter. And then they still had a chance. It was fourth and two with the game on the line. And it looked like the Broncos just snapped the ball early because a little Frank Clark shift uh, baited them, thinking he was offsides. They They snap it early, and poor Russ is sitting there trying to, trying to get rid of it and didn't work. Chiefs win and um, have a chance to get that number one seed if uh, the Bills lose.
1: Yeah, I mean, Mahomes obviously got a couple of mistakes in this game, but man, I thought he made some absolutely ridiculous passes in this game, including some that were like incompletions. Like some of his incompletions were some of the best throws like you're going to see a player make. Um, he like, He's just capable of things that other players aren't. And it's funny the the certain plays where it shows up, where he's just on the move, puts a pass in. You're like, that shouldn't be possible to fit the ball into that window, even to attempt that pass is silly. And yet he's able to he's able to put those
0: regularly where they should be at an absolutely absurd level. The throw he made to Justin Watson just before the half, right? They had what, ten seconds, eight seconds? Another one of those the Chiefs have a fraction of, of, of time. And can, the kind of, can they get into field goal range? Yeah, and he like, just throws it early to the spot directly along the sideline where, side where Watson can slide and make a catch. They set up a field goal. Butker misses it by a mile. But right. just incredible that they even had that opportunity.
1: Yeah, like missed field goals so it didn't end up accounting. But the Chiefs have shown so many times in the last few seasons that if you give them... 10 seconds, if you give them double-digit seconds, even if they need to go 20 yards, they can do it. Like, they can make those ridiculous chunk plays easily. Like, you can set up... It turns out it's actually a lot more difficult than NFL teams thought it was, or at least when you're playing Mahomes it is, to set up in a way that all you got to do is take away a 20-yard gain. Right? That feels like a very easy defensive ask. All you got to do is give up anything 20-plus yards. Just don't do that, and you win. And yet, every time Kansas City gets given that opportunity, okay, you got to get 20 yards. You got 10 seconds to work with. What are you going to call? They find plays. Yeah. It's
0: insane. Well, they do. They they'll do a quick hitter to Kelsey, where he'll you know pick up yards after the catch. They'll do a play like this, where Mahomes just throws it to a spot and receiver gets there. Really incredible. um The other part is Kadarius Tony. It was a back shoulder to Kadarius Tony, but he had. 71 yards on, all, uh, on four catches. All four of his targets were caught. And, uh, you know, Tony, once again, just looks like this weapon that's going to show up in the playoffs when you don't get as much from a Juju Smith-Schuster in this game or can't really connect with Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Like, oh, by the way, we picked up Kadarius Tony for pennies on the dollar, and that dude is tough to tackle. Him and Jarek McKinnon, those were the top two receivers for the Chiefs. Both guys... Crazy, shifty in space. like So think about defending the Chiefs. And yeah, I know they don't have Tyree Kill this year, and that felt like a, a big loss. But now, defending the Chiefs, you still have Kelsey, who is uncoverable and all that fun stuff. But then you have Kadarius Tony and Jarek McKinnon. You've got these incredible space players. Quickness, speed, difficult to tackle. That's what the Chiefs are doing, and, and they're not throwing the ball downfield as much. They've changed their offense, and it's like, here, tackle all these guys make these plays and Mahomes is going to make his special plays. They're still so difficult to defend. And then Pacheco is going to run with power. I mean, they're still so difficult to defend with just a, I don't want to say slightly different style of players, but just without the elite Tyreek Hill speed, just more shifty players than straight line speed type of players.
1: Yeah. There's so Mahomes, um, second incompletion of the game is one of the most insane plays (laughs) that I've seen from him. He they're in the red zone. Um, It's not even particularly a lot of pressure, but he does that standard Mahomes thing of bounce out of the bottom of the pocket, start scrambling into open space. Um, And then Juju Smith-Schuster is running just a shallow drag across the field. It's not open. Nothing else is open. uh, Mahomes rolls to the left, waits for Juju to turn it back up, uh, you know, along the sideline into the end zone, and just on the run forwards, fires this sidearm, low trajectory bullet right past the DB into the hands of Juju who can't come can't come up with it at the end of it but that is one of the most ridiculous throws you're ever going to see and it was an incomplete pass
0: yeah he's had a, a few of those in there that's why like when he was rolling left and he throws the interception to Justin Simmons yeah that pass to Juju is ridiculous um when he throws the interception to Justin Simmons in the end zone I'm just amazed that stuff doesn't happen more often, right? Like when you're watching Mahomes and you see some of the plays that he makes, why aren't there more mistakes in there? Why aren't there more plays where it just goes wrong? The fact that he's... um, Because he's an alien. Yeah. The fact that he's as safe with the ball as he is playing that style and and avoiding all the sacks that he makes, that's what's really separated Mahomes through five years of his career. So, look, he has another... Really good game for the Chiefs. They make all the plays when needed. At the end, the Broncos, again, they hung tough. The defense hung tough as long as they could. Um, Russ made some plays early. The big turning point was a bad, bad decision. He got completely baited by LeJaria Sneed on the interception early fourth quarter. Broncos had—Chiefs had just taken the lead. Broncos were trying to come back. Russ throws the interception, and then uh, Chiefs were up 10 before you know it. Sneed's return on that was hilarious. It
1: was like he just kept— as soon as contact was imminent, he pressed spin. He pressed the spin button on Madden and just tried to like spin out of the contact and it worked like two or three times until he finally span and didn't get anywhere and just got tackled. Um, yeah, great play by Snead. Also, Trent McDuffie
0: had a strip sack on a, a blitz that was a big... Uh, right before the half, right? It, took, it kind of took points or points, uh, at least a field goal opportunity off the It board. gave them the shot. It gave Kansas City the shot of that stupid thing
1: right the yes 20, 20 in the broncos play.
0: probably would have had a long field goal attempt before right. the half.
1: yep um and generally like mcduffie i think has had a quietly very good rookie season like it's not been as flashy as sauce gardner um other players have had more kind of notable plays and he missed a chunk of it with injury but he's actually just quietly been very good and a very they've leaned on him a lot like they've for a guy that missed a lot of time And as a rookie corner, as soon as he's been healthy, they plugged him right in as a starter and given him some pretty tough assignments, and he's done pretty well.
0: All right, so as I mentioned, Kansas City wins. They're watching uh, very closely tonight's game, Bills and Bengals, because if the Bills lose, Chiefs will get that bye if they beat the Raiders next week. Jarrett Stidham's Raiders, they're playing Saturday. They're the first game of Week 18. All right, uh, Lions 41 Bears 10. Lions move to 8-8. Bears fall to 3-13. Man, the Lions were just unstoppable again on offense. Bears could not make a stop. It was back and forth early on, but then the Lions pulled away. This is setting up Lions-Packers potential play-in game next week. The Lions still need some help. They do need Seattle to lose to the Rams, and um, if they do, we don't know what the timing's going to be on all this whole thing, but the Lions have a chance to um, either – crush the Packers' playoff hopes, yeah, or uh, create playoff hopes of their own and get in as the seventh seed in the NFC.
1: Yeah, Green Bay is winning it. Green Bay controls their own destiny, having been – somebody was saying there were a 1% chance of making the playoffs at one point in the season. Like we were just one more loss, and then Rodgers can hang them up. We get to see what Jordan Love brings to the table for the rest of the year, Yeah, and we've got some interesting discussions they roger's like no i'm gonna keep going until we're mathematically eliminated it turns out yeah for good reason because will, you're will not. not happen yeah um, so green bay after that actually controls their own destiny they win and they're in detroit doesn't they still need help because they blew it a week ago um a week ago two weeks ago whatever it was they lost to carolina um so that i think is uh potentially important when you get to where they're putting that game next week like the lions might not actually have anything to play for other than ruining green bay's day yeah like so uh chicago's defense is terrible so it made sense that detroit was going to put up a ton of points and that they were going to struggle to stop them blah blah blah. early in the game it looked like it was going to be a like a shootout a back and forth the bears you know you and your let's dial back the justin fields running stuff let's teach him how to pass the ball (laughs) not only are the bears ignoring you they're leaning, like, even more into the Justin Fields thing. Doesn't mean they're right. They line up with this amazing play where another short yardage wrinkle instead of they, they do that thing where they motion the, the tight end right under center to do the fake to do the, the sneak because you don't want to risk the quarterback. So instead, you have the tight end take the ball, turn, and pitch it to the quarterback who's still standing in the shotgun and have him just run it any, off the edge. And Detroit actually had it defended pretty well. I think it was Jeffrey Acuda like, gets some penetration into the backfield, blocks off Justin Fields' run, and Fields just, you know, goes Fields and makes something special happen, like hurdles over the two bodies and runs for a big gain. He had, like, 100-and-something yards in the the, uh, first quarter alone. Like, he was cooking, and then it kind of goes off the rails. Like, he has a careless fumble where he doesn't see the guy chasing him from behind, makes a couple of bad
0: turnovers, and the Bears' offense just didn't keep pace. Justin Fields finishes 7 of 21 passing. So he has 75 passing yards. Loses another 45 on seven sacks. So they had uh, 30 net passing yards. And Fields ran for 132 yards on the ground on 10 carries. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know they're still running him, But if he gets hurt in week 18 in a meaningless game or in this game in week 17, what's the point?
1: I mean, you get hurt playing standard drop bank passer in the pocket he could
0: he absolutely could um so yeah fields throws uh throws an interception to cover two corner Aiden Hutchinson too just before the half Aiden Hutchinson now has three interceptions on the season he's a defensive lineman is that going to affect your vote as uh, a voter this year for defensive rookie of the year is is someone going to look at defensive rookie of the year because what sauce still only have two or whatever it is or zero whatever he has all I know is Hutchinson has the interceptions
1: yes this one was weird. Did you see where he lined up on the play? It was cover two. He lined up, like, out, you know, basically hiding at the sideline. It was a cover two corner. To the point yeah. where I think Fields genuinely didn't even, didn't even know he was there. Like, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he lurked in his blind spot and you didn't see him. I think he was so far to the sideline that Fields actually wasn't aware that there was a defender there. And then he just sort of jumps in front of it and, uh, and makes the play. Um, like... Okay, yeah. Look, Aiden Hutchinson has had a pretty good rookie year. Um, And it would be a travesty if he won rookie of the year over Sauce Gardner because he's the only player in the NFL to have five sacks and three interceptions, which I saw bandied about yesterday. You know, just a couple uh, random. Right. It's like, okay, yes. Totals. Great. That's a unique statistic that he
0: owns this year. It's going to influence somebody, Sam. It's going to influence somebody. Like, it doesn't. Those eight plays.
1: It doesn't offset the like 500 plays where Sauce Gardner has been locking down his receiver as a number one corner and arguably the best corner in the entire league just because like, you know, like one of those plays, right? If one of those interceptions doesn't happen, now he no longer has that statistic. Are you telling me that one play is the difference here? Like it's just silly.
0: A lot of of what ifs there, Sam. Uh, Jared Goff, another good solid game. They're they're turning Brock Wright into a uh, touchdown machine. Another two scores there. Uh, Jamison Williams had a 40-yard end around in there. He looks so good. So fast, right? I mean, so this is what you're seeing, the potential from the Lions offense. They haven't even tapped into Jamison Williams really as a receiver a whole lot. He only had the one catch on, on his only target. But you have Amonra St. Brown. You have DJ Chark, Kalief Raymond. They're all still getting theirs. DeAndre Swift had an incredible touchdown run. There's a lot of speed and quickness. And talked about Kansas City's space players. A lot of good space players here for the Lions, plus Brock Wright, who's unstoppable in the red zone.
1: Yeah, Um, and like James Houston made another play, right? He was the guy with the strip sack on Justin Fields. That dude has barely played this season and yet keeps making plays whenever he's out there. And I think they've they've scaled up his playing time a lot. So we were talking before the season about the stable of young pass rushers that the, the Lions had with Aiden Hutchinson coming in. But we meant guys like, You know the Aquaras and um, you know that type of player but actually all of a sudden as the season's gone on it's fellow rookie James Houston that's emerging as like a legit threat off the edge they're scaling up his playing time and Aiden Hutchinson has been good the Hutchinson part might have been right but if James Houston ends up becoming that other guy like that's a it's a great development for Detroit because the other
0: guys haven't become that guy James Houston has 82 pass rushes. We have him with seven sacks. I don't know if any were negated by penalties or anything, but we'll say seven. Um, NFL also has seven. Uh, Win rate of 24%, which is awesome. Pressure rate of 18%, which is awesome. This reminds me a little bit of Cameron Wake. I got to do a little uh, comparisons to Cameron Wake, but wasn't his the the breakout season that we always talk about or like the pre-breakout season with like 100, 150 rushes? something like that yeah I was in the middle of looking it up but could be a little bit of uh Houston's obviously having an effect this year He didn't see the field till week 12 but could be something that uh shows the future here for the Lions with Houston rushing off the edge he was um he was fantastic at Jackson State last year sixth rounder and uh looking good in limited time so far so Lions dominate Bears defense has uh Boy, they're rough. Mm-hmm. Man, Lions and Packers. I, ho- I hope it means something. I'm not rooting against uh, Seahawks, Rams, or anything, but I, it just something about the Lions, man. It feels very weird to put those two games on at different times. Like, so if the, they wait, if, if... There's a heavy rumor that, this, that Sunday night football is going to be Lions and Packers. Yeah. Which could be meaningless for the Lions. Now, I think part of the reasoning is the NFL knows... The NFL's not looking for, look, here's the thing, the debate. The debate, uh, Will Brinson brought this up yesterday because he's over there like, it's not fair to do this. It's not fair to do that. Mm -hmm. Why is the NFL shuffling games? They're not shuffling games for fairness. They are shuffling games for drama and for ratings. That is why these games are moving. Not because all this team doesn't know. They want to have the best, most competitive games and the most compelling stories. And Sunday night football, whether the Lions are in or out, is going to be a compelling storyline because Aaron Rodgers, win and you're in. And because the fighting Dan Campbells aren't going to give up anyway, even if they're not, like, they want to be able to spoil the Packers' playoff opportunity. So whether it matters or not for the Lions, and they're playing Sunday night football, it the Lions are going to play. And that is a that is a dramatic finish to the season, Lions and Packers. So... The NFL's not looking for fairness when they reshuffle the schedule. They're trying to maximize their ratings. That's it. So stop thinking about, well, it's not fair to this team. The only thing they care about fairness is they don't want teams to sit their their starters if they don't have to. So they play games at the same time to maximize drama, not fairness. Yeah. Not 100, but it's probably like 60-40 drama over also like- competitive you know fairness.
1: You know other sports have to juggle that as well, like TV ratings when you put a game when you put island games on. But also, hey, <laughs> this is this is a sport with a competitive fairness element that we probably shouldn't have two two games that have essentially equal meaning to making the postseason or not, or may, or league position or whatever, occurring at completely different times, where one team therefore has the advantage of knowing that they've already got this secured or not, like you know if it was any other sport those two games would happen at the same time so that
0: neither one had an advantage yeah ideally that would be great because the other team the other game they're talking about is Bengals Ravens being Sunday night football for the division but it's only for the division if the Bengals lose tonight so there's some what-ifs there I did quickly look up Cameron Wake his 2009 season 135 pass rushes with a 92 pass rush grade so similar sample size similar production and that essentially foretold cameron wake being one of the best pass rushers in the nfl for the next 10 seasons so um, not saying james houston's exactly going to be that guy sounds like that's what you're saying but um that's what his breakout reminds me of here sam all right the other two one o'clock games we're going to touch on we have uh we have three minutes to cover these two games hmm. that's my self-imposed rule here atlanta 20 arizona 19 Falcons move to six and ten. Cardinals uh, fall to four and twelve. This was uh, this game meant far more for NFL draft position than anything else. Both teams obviously eliminated. David Blau got the start for Arizona. The Cardinals move up to number four in the draft order, and the Falcons fall to seven.
1: Okay, I have a couple of questions. When was it you first learned that David Blau was on the Arizona Cardinals roster?
0: Uh, when he was announced as the starter on <laughs> Friday.
1: Okay. 3 players for the Arizona Cardinals saw double digit targets in this game.
0: Name them. No, I didn't watch I didn't watch much of this game. No.
1: No, you're just not going to do it. No. Marquise Brown,
0: I Greg Dortch,
1: and Trey McBride. Breakout Trey McBride game. 10 targets, 7 catches, uh 78 yards. Good for
0: McBride. He was supposed to be the best tight end in the draft. Still could be.
1: Yeah, and look like it. I mean, this was a game where They put him out there, and he absolutely looked like that. He had a great game.
0: Leave it to David Blau to unlock Trey McBride's potential. Exactly. Um, I watched a little Desmond Ritter. He was solid. Tyler Algier had some nice runs in there as well.
1: I think it was Ritter's best game, which still wasn't great. Um, Algier looks absolutely legit. Like, that Falcons run game is still very good. Uh, I think they rushed for, like, 130-something yards as a team. 126. Oh, 132. Um, They looked really good. J.J. Watt had a sack in his sort of farewell go around the last few weeks didn't do an awful lot else but the sack you know that's the important thing uh i gotta get up that list you know the all-time rankings where does he rank pretty high right i mean he right he put himself pretty high just after like five years so even with the injuries he still has to rank reasonably high on that list
0: when did they start sacks 1984 82 82 yeah i think so what the heck what are you 19, doing five player I'm looking it up
1: Anyway, that's, that's about all that happened in this game.
0: Where's J.J. Watt? Eh, not high enough. He cleared 100, though, right? That was his... He's got 112 and a half, apparently. Yeah. There you go. The, the key half sack. The key half. Uh, Desmond Ritter, I think maybe his best throw was a back shoulder to uh, Cordero Patterson in the end zone that fell incomplete. Good little zip on that one. Anything else on this game? No. Great. I have even less on Jacksonville 31, Houston Texans 3. The game mattered not for the Jags. Um, Trevor Lawrence ended up coming out for C.J. Beathard at one point. Uh, Travis Etienne breaks away for a long touchdown. That was a big play. And uh, that was pretty much it. An insurmountable lead once the Jags hit 7 in uh, in this one. 31-3 was the final. Davis Mills not so hot for the Texans. But the Jags really just gearing up for next week
1: yeah houston's run defense every time you watch it it's like how is this not the worst run defense in nfl history they just give up giant plays left right and center to everybody and yet somehow it there must be games where they don't because it just gets destroyed every time you're watching it i thought i had a uh
0: sorry nothing yeah so houston had a chance of losing the number one overall pick but um, they're holding on tight. And, uh, and on a weekend where Bryce Young tore it up in the Sugar Bowl against, uh, against Kansas State, Bryce Young, um, our guy Mike Renner, says, that's it. I'm done debating. Bryce Young's the number one overall pick. From what I've seen so far, I'd have to agree. I think Bryce Young would be the play here for Houston. Obviously, there's a lot to play out. You know, Will Levis' official hand size is, is pending. It's going to be monstrous. Um, you had C.J. Stroud who had you know, tapered off a little bit, I think, in those discussions, just crush it on Saturday night in a loss to Georgia in the college football playoff. But C.J. Stroud may be putting himself back into that conversation near the top of the draft. But either way, Houston's going to be selecting a quarterback, and I can't wait to sit here and discuss it and debate it for the next few months.
1: That was also uh, the Alabama game. It was the, the sort of advertisement for Bill O'Brien. Mm-hmm to rescue the New England offense, you know?
0: Yeah, it's funny because uh, I heard Patriots reporter Mike Reese talk about that uh, on the radio the other day, basically saying it's funny because there's all these rumors, but the one person nobody's actually spoken to or has any idea what he's thinking is Bill Belichick. Like, nobody actually knows. So this is really people just kind of inferring Patriots offense is a hot mess. Mm -hmm. Matt Patricia probably shouldn't be offensive coordinator next year. Bill O'Brien has gone through the nick saban alabama career rejuvenation program the next step that's logical is going back to new england where he was 10 plus years ago before he went to penn state
1: i mean he's also done done his own coaching rehabilitation program like that's why they're in the mess they are in the first place right well let's bring back matt patricia and joe judge let's have them run the offense this time that'll get them back on their feet
0: yeah (laughs) your belichick's pulling a pulling a nick saban there right anyway um if you're a Jags fan and you tuned into this segment, we'll have much more on the Jags on Thursday as we preview their game against the Tennessee Titans. The, um, also, very, very important, very important here, Jags equipment at Jags equipment has come out and they put out a poll. They wanted Jaguars fans to decide what they're wearing for the game, right? which is next Saturday night in primetime. You know, teal teal combo, teal and black, black and teal, white, whatever you want to and it's like why if you are not wearing the nineteen ninety six Jags uniforms, you're just losing. If you're not wearing the mm-hmm. Mark Brunel era Jags jerseys from now until forever.
1: Now until forever. Yes. They don't even have They never that. should
0: have changed. Maybe they they never should have changed. But they did. They like don't even seven have seven years into the Jags history, they're over there flipping uniforms and there was no need for it. No need for it. They don't even have that as a throwback option, right? They're not even. Like, no, you can't out. actually use it. I'm just like right. that would be my. But vote, like though. you know,
1: the Patriots have Pat
0: Patriot to get up, right? But right. The, the
1: Jags don't have that.
0: No, because right. it's all predetermined before the year. But they're they're probably right around. I, they probably will wait till 2026 or something like the 30 year anniversary. Right. How old does the franchise able- need
1: to be before you can have a throwback uniform?
0: I mean, I think once you have like seven uniforms in between those two. <laughs> right the Brunel the Brunel era Jags they never wore teal pants or anything like that that's absurd Of course, you wear a teal top and white pants and it was the best combination of teal with the jag on the image that should be the uniform yeah that's I spent too much time right particularly because it's not an option I'm just saying that should they should make it an option yeah okay the NFL can adjust on the fly let's get to the four o'clock games Um, Seattle Seahawks 23 New York Jets 6 Jets eliminated from playoff contention, falling to 7-9. The Seahawks keeping their hopes alive where they win. They need a, they need a win and a Lions win next week yeah. to get into the playoffs. They're 8-8. Eight and eight. Uh, Kenneth Walker started the game with a 60-yard run and finished with a buck 33. Really good job on the ground. And uh, Mike White did not look like himself, or did he, um, <laughs> was off in this game for the Jets, clearly. Yeah, this was the game that hadn't come
1: yet for Mike White. Um, Remember, like, the last time we saw him, he flashed, he looked impressive, and then he played that Buffalo game. That's like, uh, yeah, okay, that's the end of that. And then he came back again, and he hadn't had the Buffalo game again. He had avoided playing badly, and, you know, maybe you were like, well, that was just Buffalo's defense. They got a great defense, but right as you're, like, asking the question, you know, huh. There was a really nice ball from Mike White early in the game. You're like, can Mike White actually win himself a starting job with the last couple of weeks? Like, one throw does kind of like trigger that
0: in your mind, right?
1: But, well, it was, yeah. it was beautiful. One throw, because of what they've dealt with with Zach Wilson, because of the fact that the team is in a good position overall, and because of the fact that Mike White hadn't yet had that Buffalo game again, you're like, well, if he has, you know, two more games to end this season that look good with those types of throws where the offense is, is looking different when he's there. I mean, you know, like, there's an argument. There's a conversation to be had. The, the Sam Darnold conversation that you seem so eager to jump back into. Like, that would absolutely be live for Mike White. And then no sooner has that thought crossed your mind than he just, like, slings the ball to Quandre Diggs the way Brock Purdy did a couple of weeks ago. Only this time Diggs caught it. And you're like, oh, okay. And then that was the start of... The worst game we've seen from Mike White since that Buffalo game.
0: Yeah, I think from a Mike White perspective, it's easy to say, yeah, he's dealing with the rib injury and he's clearly not the right guy, but or, or not the same, but that decision in particular was like under pressure and he like a heave into double coverage. Yeah. Um, he had another one that he got away with and then another interception later. So two interceptions, three turnover worthy plays for Mike White. There's a few drops in there as well, but clearly not the same guy. In and I can one. buy
1: that that one in particular was like was rib influenced. You know, when you look at how he threw that, it kind of looked. I'm, you might be reading too much into this because of what you know. The he's First interception. With. Yeah, but when you watch him throw that, it looked like a guy that was like Ugh,
0: my ribs. You
1: know what I mean? Like was sort of hunched over, dealing with like. Oh
0: yeah, like the ball did. Like the ball did not come out of his hand. Great, but but the the decision was horrible.
1: Yes, it's like, but even if a fully healthy mike white with working ribs fires that in tighter faster harder it's still a bad decision that gets picked off most of the time like that's the problem
0: yeah i also thought that the the jets offensive line would look they're playing they're not very they're not great and they've been so hurt this year but the seahawks pass rush hasn't been great but white did also feel like he just takes a ton of hits right like the 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 joke I always make about Nick Foles, where it feels like every single throw is him getting crushed, like Mike White was getting rolled up on and hitting the ribs again. I mean, he just gets hit a ton. Um, so I thought Seattle's defense might be, you know, a good a good matchup for this Jets offense to get back on track. The complete opposite happened. So, um, other than the run game, I don't think Seattle was that great offensively either. I mean, it was really just a defensive battle where. Um, Mike White's turnovers proved to be the biggest difference in the game.
1: Yeah, I, I feel sorry for the Jets because I think if Mike White had been the starter all year, they'd probably make the playoffs, um, even with you know Zach Wilson for a period of time, and
0: Joe Flacco games like they still Because all you're them. saying is they, there's a couple well look, what was Zach Wilson, five and two, five and three as a starter? You're just talking about flipping one of those games.:
1: Yeah. Um, and it just it feels like this was a team that should have made the playoffs. They just had a quarterback situation that ended up undoing them
0: overall um geno smith still a little hit or miss in this game always has his couple really nice throws in there but he missed a bunch as well got sacked four times he was under heavy heat too i mean we talk about on the preview show we talked about the seattle offensive line and their regression they're looking at a pass block grade in the 30s right now pending review um geno smith was under heavy heat in this one as well they still they still made, you know, managed their much better in the run down the stretch, much better in the run game. But from like a pass blocking standpoint, they were they were rough.
1: Every th- four out of the five starters are going to have pretty wretched um, PFF pass blocking grades for this game. Like their
0: their offensive line has absolutely fallen to ribbons down the run in. And we've already we've seen them struggle against the Niners. They if if the Seahawks do sneak into the playoffs, we're talking about a game what against the Niners or against the. Who else would be the two seed potentially? Uh, Some team with a good pass rush because it's like the Eagles, the Vikings, Cowboys, Niners. The Vikings can make it. The
1: Niners can make it. The can Eagles.
0: the Vikings can still get a two seed here? Yes. So I think Seattle fans are rooting for a Vikings matchup in, in round one potentially. Um, any other thoughts on this one? It just felt like the Jets. I mean, now that the Jets are out, do you throw Zach Wilson back in there? next week or is he actually done for the jets i mean i think he's done i don't know i
1: i don't think you learn anything from zach wilson playing in the final week of the season no i don't
0: think you learn anything but it's just like another yeah so what's the point another game of reps in case he's still on your team next year if you've moved on for especially if mike white is still banged up and hurt keep him safe keep mike white safe heading to the offseason. <laughs> gotta keep mike white safe All right, the uh, San Francisco 49ers 37, Las Vegas Raiders 34, the final in overtime. Uh, Jarrett Stidham gets the start for the Raiders, and man, he was dealing early on. We started to see the the Raiders offense, Darren Waller with an early touchdown, Devontae Adams with another incredible game, Mm. some incredible catches in there. Um, But the Niners offense and Brock Purdy I did on the preview show, I said, hey, can Brock Purdy – you know, make one of those fourth quarter comebacks. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo has been pretty good in late game situations when needed. And I was impressed with Purdy. A lot of big throws on the on the final drive that led to a missed field goal in regulation. But then a Stidham interception in overtime set the Niners up for a game-winning field goal. And uh, they come away with the victory. They move to 12-4. and four, And there's still a path for the 49ers to get the number one seed and a bye because of the Eagles starting to lose.
1: Yeah, who would have thought that Brock Purdy versus Jared Stidham would be one of the best quarterback matchups of the week. Both those guys, I thought, looked really good. Um, And I was impressed by both of them. Uh, Two Raiders. Two Raiders quarterbacks since, I think, like, the early 90s or something have led a touchdown drive on their first drive of their first start. Jared Stidham and... Jamarcus Russell.
0: No, Matt McGloin. Oh, McGloin. Oh, that's right. McGloin <laughs> yeah. had that stretch, right? Like, so it's, it's a data minch- point that yeah.
1: isn't necessarily the most indicative thing in the world. Um, it's just another Hall of Fame credential. Right. But Stidham looked really good. Like, I thought he made a bunch of incredible plays. One of them was I not quite a Mahomesian play, but, you know, gets out of trouble.
0: Like Any a, scramble to your left where you throw it under pressure, it's like, that's Mahomes.
1: But this one, it wasn't doing it under pressure that was the most impressive thing. It was how long he held the ball, knowing the pressure was coming, to give his guy a chance to uncover, to then fire it into the open guy for a touchdown. Like, early in the third quarter, he rolls to the left. He knows there's a guy bearing down on him, and he had the patience and the discipline to just hold, hold, finally gets rid of it, touchdown. Like, I thought he looked great in this game. He did. I mean, I made the— Of course he should, as the
0: former— top recruit in the nation yeah i mean there was a point in his career where he looked fantastic early in his career kevin
1: clark i think tweeted what that recruiting class looked like in terms of quarterbacks it's a pretty wild list
0: so what would that that have been 2015 uh sure oh well stidham Stidham was one of my elite elite 11 guys stidham number one number two kyler murray Uh, number three 11 class
1: brandon wimbush uh, Juwan Jennings the receiver was number five Darnold six Joe Burrow seven Lamar Jackson
0: nine weird class I was uh I was with Trent Dilfer at Elite 11 for all for those kids when they were there we were grading their practices at the opening at Elite 11 Yes, yeah, Stidham was there Kyler um Josh Rosen was in that class wasn't he yep Rosen and Darnold one. were both there
1: Uh, Rosen was the number one pro-style quarterback from that class. Yeah. Turns out, just looking at that list, you don't want a pro-style quarterback anymore.
0: The winner that year, that wasn't Shane Bouchel's year. He was the next year. The winner of Elite 11, who the heck was it? Oh, it was um, Shea Patterson, I believe. I think he was in there. Anyway, um, yes, did him look pretty good in this. Remember, fourth-round pick by the Patriots. Josh McDaniels was there and um, I did make the joke maybe it was just it was Jarrett Stidham's time it wasn't Derek Carr getting demoted it was Stidham getting elevated do you think the Raiders are going to you know give Stidham a look I mean they are giving him a look more than two games I mean for next year
1: no okay I mean look th- this was a great game this was a surprising performance from Jared Stidham but we know that can happen like remember we were however many weeks away from PJ Walker looking like the best quarterback in the NFL against the Bucks, right it d- that happens every now and again. I don't think... Matt you, Flynn had a six-touchdown game. <laughs> yeah, although I don't think he actually necessarily played that well in that game. But so anyway... He had a six-touchdown game. I don't think you uh, necessarily... We know that wild single-game performances can happen from quarterbacks. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. But this was a really <laughs> impressive performance from Stidham and a game from Devontae Adams where he went out there and reminded people that, hey, by the way, I'm still the best receiver in the game.
0: So he had... Um, the the scramble pass that you're talking about was to Devontae Adams ran away from the defense for a touchdown. He had a back shoulder, which was a great throw and catch both ends. Um, And then Adams had that ridiculous diving catch on the comeback drive at the end of regulation for what, 60 yards? And that's where I want to hand it to Stidham, right? At the end of the game, uh, Brock Purdy leads a, a touchdown drive to go up seven. And then Stidham comes right back. And in a lot of those situations they had a penalty on the first play it was like second and 20 or first and 20 and a lot of those times you, you we always talk about you start with the easy pass you start with the easy pass he just started chucking it deep Devontae Adams with a 60 yard diving catch which I thought they might overturn because the ball touched the ground hmm. um, but incredible catch there next play um, Stidham's throwing it up the seam Fred Warner with a pass interference in the end zone before you know what the Raiders are at the one yard line and Josh Jacobs just walks in for the game tying touchdown and I thought Stidham's aggressiveness in those situations, right? Like early in the game, there was the play action to Waller for the touchdown. It felt like there was a lot of control with the Raiders offense. They put him in position to succeed. But you have the scramble touchdown for Adams, the back shoulder to Adams, chucking it deep to Adams where he makes the diving play. There was some aggressiveness to Stidham and some really nice throws that allowed for the explosive offense that the Raiders showed.
1: Yeah, I mean – I. I don't want to take anything away from him. I thought he had a great game and made some really impressive plays and some plays that you don't necessarily expect that type of quarterback to make. Um, As did Brock Purdy. I think both those guys looked dramatically better than they have any right to be given their backgrounds. You know, Purdy being Mr. Irrelevant and a rookie, Stidham being a guy that's been like buried on everybody's depth charts and, and not really trusted to be a starter at any point so far in his NFL career. They both look fantastic.
0: Yeah, I want to give Purdy credit as well, yes, for sure, because they, this was the first game where uh, the Niners were behind at the half. Uh, there was there were some ebbs and flows in the second half where the, nine, the Niners, I mean, they did get a, what, a tipped interception that kind of put them, uh, gave them a short field. But look, Purdy, in a comeback situation, that made being, a bunch yeah. of key throws. <laughs> he
1: did. That being said, uh, these are always funny how one play can completely change the narrative. The very start of the drive at the end, that ended up in the comeback to tie it, uh, like Purdy tried to throw the game away with the first play of that drive. Now, the next play was a first down. The next play after that was a first down. That then ended in that ridiculous miracle play where he kinda gets hit and the ball flutters up and gets caught and it's away. But like, play number one, he tries to throw it away and you're like, if that's a pick, all of a sudden you're like, wow, Purdy had one shot at getting this done crapped his pants that's why he's Mr. Irrelevant you know that guy's never going to to anything when the game was on the line Purdy wilted it's a disaster but the play doesn't count it didn't happen we do over we pretend it didn't exist and we move on to the next play
0: right and then from there though I mean Christian McCaffrey let him down on a drop and then he still hits another pass Brandon Ayuk was unstoppable on that final drive in regulation Robbie Gold missed the field goal but then you know Purdy putting them in that position was impressive. So
1: McCaffrey had a play on a screen that was a lot like the Jared Stidham thing early. When the most impressive thing about it was the patience that he exhibited. They fired a screen to McCaffrey, and like this is something that you don't tend to notice. But McCaffrey catches the screen, looks up, but then he takes a look back inside to figure out how much time he has. From the chasing players to let the blocks get set up in front of him, right? If he just catches the ball and sprints forward into the defense, he gets tackled for not a particularly big gain. But he catches the ball and looks back inside to figure out how long he has to let the guys get in front of him and set up blocks so that he can actually make a bigger play out of this. Like that, that's the kind of thing that is why Kyle Shanahan goes after players like Christian McCaffrey. Because the difference between McCaffrey and any of the other random running backs that he drafts in the middle of the you know, fourth round or whatever, is that. It's the knowledge and the instincts to catch a screen and not just run and get what he can. It's to figure out, all right, let's figure out how much time I have right now on the fly. Like it's just a quick glance, buy himself the time, lets a blocker get out in front of him, and then he turns that into whatever that was. But that was a big gain that I think almost every
0: running through running through tacklers yeah. the whole yeah and i think
1: almost every other running back in the league is tackled for like an eight yard gain because they don't figure out how much time they have they just run they maybe try and set up the block on the fly but they run into trouble because they haven't taken a look to figure out how much time they actually have to let those guys get out in front of them
0: Purdy did a pretty nice job setting that up as well i mean sometimes a screen's a screen but you know having patience as a quarterback as well letting the pressure get there and then dumping it off he did a nice job on that play as well. So McCaffrey ends up with 121 on the ground, another 72 through the, through the air. Um, Kittle just had the touchdown in 23 yards. That was a really nice job by Purdy as well. Roll into his left, a bunch of roll into your left plays Hmm. in the NFL this week. Purdy's touchdown to Kittle was a beauty in another game where I think you look at all of the Niners playmakers. It was another high, uh, heavy McCaffrey game, but it was IUC in crunch time in the fourth quarter. You didn't have to go to Kittle. As much in this game, maybe he wasn't as productive in this game. You still have Debo Samuel ready to come back, probably around playoff time. So, as long as Purdy gets either doesn't make the big mistake or gets away with them, yeah, right. He did have a couple turnover-worthy plays in this game. As long as that's the case, he's been fantastic playing now, uh, playing point guard, as they say, distributing and uh, getting the ball to the playmakers.
1: Nick Bosa shows up with a critical play at the in overtime to basically force the mistake um didn't a have a rush
0: on uh, colton miller
1: didn't have a sack but had a bunch of pressure had a bunch of hits you know i i don't know if you can have a sort of defensive player of the year candidate game without a sack like a signature game but that that was a case of how pressure
0: is important even if you're not getting a sack your pressure can cause interceptions it's also one if you want to build the case you have to you have to do what you just did it's kind of like remind the voters and there was no sack on the on the stat sheet but like this was the inter- he forced the interception in overtime that directly right. led to a win for the 49ers if you can get that to stick in people's head because it's not on the stat sheet right a lot of times when you're voting you just look at the stat sheet at the end of the year and it doesn't show up there in what most people are looking at yeah but. like
1: you know we remember Aaron Donald taking over the final drive of the Super Bowl and getting sacks to end the game I mean this ended the game as well essentially just
0: without it being a
1: sack it was a pressure
0: um, so uh, the Raiders are going to play on Saturday against the Chiefs. I think it Stidham's performance in this game, for whatever it's worth, we'll see if he can maintain it next week. It does make it a little bit more intriguing going up against the Chiefs, right? The Raiders took the Chiefs uh, right to the end uh, on Monday Night Football. The Raiders also have the most ridiculous games all season. Crazy finishes. They, they're they at 6-10 and 10 right now. I mentioned earlier the Niners are 12-4, and four, and there's a path to the number one seed still available for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go Packers 41, Vikings 17. Packers. It wasn't that close. It was not even that close. It was a late touchdown from uh, Nick Mullins for the Vikings. Two
1: late touchdowns. I mean, they got, yeah, there was a Cousins one first, and then the Nick Mullins one once they'd really given
0: up. Packers got up early with um, kick return touchdown, Keyshawn Nixon, and uh, pick six by Darnell Savage. There was a point in this game where they were up 17-3, to and Aaron Rodgers had 12 net passing yards, you know, passing yards plus a 16-yard sack. That was a key play in the game where uh, Packers just, Matt LaFleur just keeps going for it on fourth down. I mean, he's, I don't know where he's, he ranks from a percentage standpoint, but the last two weeks in particular, he is playing this like his season's on the line. Now, I don't think you should just go for fourth downs because your season's on the line. I think it helps you win probability in all games. But it's got that, like, that narrative of like, oh, they've got nothing to lose. Just go for it. I mean, I guess, but they would go forward and forth down. There's a 16-yard sack, and then Cousins come back, comes back with a tipped pass, pick six by Darnell Savage. A massive turn of events in this game, and the Packers did not look back after that.
1: <laughs> the start of this game was so insane, and yet it's just like a standard Minnesota Vikings game now. Yeah. Like, all of their games are incredibly ridiculous. Like, remember, before Green Bay started putting up a ton of points, they had a blocked punt that set Minnesota up at the Green Bay one-yard line. Like, all of a sudden, this game started off with weird plays bouncing in Minnesota's direction. You're like, oh, the Vikings are getting the rub here. And then they don't get in from the, the setup at the one-yard line. They lose backup center Austin Schlottman. They, Garrett Bradbury's been their center. Schlottman's come in. He gets hurt. He's got a broken fibula or tibia or whatever, whichever bone it is. He's done. Doctor. So now they're down to the third string center, and the third string center gets owned on I think the third and one play, and then the Vikings end up kicking the field goal. From the resulting kickoff was where Keyshawn Nixon goes for a touchdown. So all of a sudden, what looked like Minnesota about to bounce out to you know a touchdown, they end up not getting in at all because their sent their third string center now gets wrecked, um, and then when they kick it off. Green Bay runs it all the way back, uh, which there's a couple of things that are true at the same time. Keyshawn Nixon, I think, has been a phenomenal return man this season. Every time that guy touches the ball, he looks like he's going to score. And I think it's been a matter of time before he breaks one. That being said, he was basically wide open and untouched until he was one, one with the kicker, because for some reason one Vikings player in particular just went completely AWOL on this kick, coverage uh and Nixon had a, almost a free run all the way for for a touchdown but at that point
0: everything starts to break Green Bay's way yeah Cousins ends up with uh three interceptions like I said the first one was tipped up there's later a batted pass as the Vikings are driving they're at the 30 yard line because look it's 17 to 3 Packers as I mentioned there's a point in the game where they're they're not doing much offensively so this was very much like a like a Vikings game right like we're we're gonna set you up for heartbreak we're gonna set you up for this comeback but a batted pass gets interception on the Vikings drive to try to get it within a score in the middle of the second quarter um and then by the end it was you know early fourth quarter Cousins Yolo ball into deep coverage or whatever it was for his third interception but yeah it was a lot of things that ended up breaking the Packers way defense making some big plays uh, I think there's definitely some uh some uneasy feelings with the Vikings offensive line now, their health and, and everything going forward. I mean, Brian O'Neill as that. well
1: in this game, right tackle. So they're down to the third string center, which was, I mean, being down to the third string center generally is not a good thing, but in this particular game, the third string center seemed to be completely unable to like work to snap count. Like they, they had a bunch of either false starts or delay of game because they couldn't, they couldn't run any kind of, different snap count like if it wasn't on one they weren't getting it right and that's that's an issue because when you don't have a great offensive line anyway if you're now limited to only going on one or first sound you're screwed like teams can just time that up and you have real problems
0: and the Packers offense I I don't think the Packers offense was great in this game but they ran the ball effectively they they tried to get Christian Watson involved he only had the one catch for 11 yards on five targets but Aaron Jones going for about eight yards a pop A.J. Dillon has, like, the most impressive three-and-a-half yards-per-carry games I think I've ever seen. Like, it always feels like he's just inflicting punishment. He had four forced missed tackles in this game, but um, did get a touchdown. But you do – the Packers do have this December playing in Green Bay vibe where they're going to run it and, you know, play with power, and they just – they just did it in this game, including, you know, having a special team score and a pick six. That always helps. But run game – Rodgers started to get back on track a little bit after the slow start, and uh, Packers were winning in now. Yeah, um, like
1: it was just this was a lot like it felt a lot like the Indianapolis game from Minnesota in that once they didn't get in from being set up at the one yard line, everything broke Green Bay's way. Um, like they had to, they had that the first quarter of this game. They had the blocked punt. They didn't get in from the one. Then it's a kick return touchdown. Then you have a deflected pick six for Minnesota. All of a sudden, like this is all in the first quarter. Um, you're now down two offensive linemen. The Vikings miss a kick before halftime. It gives Green Bay enough time to try and steal some points. They end up getting enough. The kick for Mason Crosby hits the crossbar and goes over. That's like a six-point swing right before halftime just after the half the Vikings get a drive going get into the I think just either into the red zone or just outside of the red zone and then they get a strip sack and it's like all right that's that's basically the game gone away like unlike the Indianapolis game where once they came out of halftime and everything started to go their way and they rode that momentum this time the second they got a little bit of a momentum going it all fell apart and unspooled around them Um, the other really fascinating thing in this game was the battle between Jair Alexander
0: and Justin Jefferson. The the, the biggest pop in this game, pop, was uh, Jim Nance.
1: Yes, Jim Nance acted like the biggest play of the NFL season happened after the whistle had gone to end the play where Jair Alexander hits Justin Jefferson with a gritty after breaking up a pass the voice inflection which was like in the first quarter sometimes. the right? voice
0: inflection was incredible because they were already setting up hey J. R. alexander he's not when we talk about matching you know corners and receivers it's not every single play but this was a lot of J. R. alexander on justin jefferson he was tracking him for the majority of the game doesn't mean they were always playing man coverage but he was following him around quite a bit jefferson did not have a catch at this point Jair breaks up a pass whatever gets to the gritty and nance's voice inflected like it was a touchdown yes that's the
1: thing. So, normally, you know, you they, you hear them talk about announcers, and you don't want to go, you don't want to start off at 100 because then you got nowhere to go, right? So, Nansis just finished hitting the play by play of a pass breakup from Jair Alexander on Justin Jefferson, which is a pretty big play in itself, and then kicks it up to like a completely new level. And just a like, what? Okay. What, what did you just say? Exactly. That's, that's the, what Jim Nance just went out of his mind because he then hit him with the celebration. But Jair had talked this up going into the game, right? He'd done the bulletin board material stuff of saying that Justin Jefferson's first game against him was a fluke. And you're like, I don't know if you ought to really be doing that. Like, this guy is looking like he's about to set an all-time record this season. He's done it against pretty much everybody. He did it against you guys the first game Do you really want to be poking that bear before the game? Then he goes into the first, like in the first quarter, I think he had this pass breakup and hit, starts hitting him with his own celebration. Like Jair Alexander is crazy. Like in a great way. He is a
0: lunatic. You, you poo-pooed this when I sent you the message, but it felt a little bit like Marshawn Lattimore getting at it with um, Mike Evans. Just it's different, but it's getting into a receiver's head. Because Lattimore is so physical all the time with Evans, and it just takes him out of the game. It, it makes Evans go crazy. And you saw Justin Jefferson in the second quarter was out of his mind. Like, he was so frustrated. And this wasn't just – again, it wasn't just Jair's playing man coverage the entire time, right? Like Cousins said after the game, and like you you you, uh, you roll coverage at him. They just did things to take Justin Jefferson out of the game. He only ended up with five targets. He, had, he didn't catch the ball until, what, the third quarter? Yeah. One catch for 15 yards. So they frustrated Justin Jefferson schematically with Jair, all of that stuff. And it it took him out of the game, both, you know, from a production standpoint and maybe a little bit, you know, mentally got him a
1: a little upset. Well, it it certainly got him pissed off. Like, Justin Jefferson lost his mind. I mean, people – he loses his mind, like takes off his helmet, touches an official, you know? The one – Jerry Judy did it a few weeks ago where we talked about it on the podcast. Like He was really lucky not to get ejected from the game. This wasn't as bad as that, but it's a few times actually in recent weeks where officials have had a player initiate contact, the buzzword that they use, and not thrown a flag and ejected the guy for it. Like Justin Jefferson could have got himself tossed from this game because of that pissed-off reaction. But on that play, he fell over on his break and caused an interception essentially. The Cousins threw a pick because Jefferson slipped coming out of his break. It's picked off. He kind of chases it back. And then right at the end of the play, Jair Alexander giving a little shove in the back, probably says something to him as well because Jair Alexander is winding him up. And Jefferson at that point is like ready to blow. Um, but the difference between the Marshall Lattimore and Mike Evans thing, obviously Lattimore winds up Evans as well, but he also owns him takes him out of the game one-on-one just physically dominates him I don't think Jair Alexander was dominating Justin Jefferson one-on-one I think generally the Packers had a good game plan for stopping Justin Jefferson there was a lot of bracket coverage there was a lot of things that prevented the ball going his way and then every time at the end of it Jair Alexander is getting in his face and pissing him off and it's like plus you know the Vikings are getting owned at this point collectively like everything's going against them So Jefferson's just kind of
0: losing his mind. This reminded me a little bit of when, in the playoff game, the Packers, on the other side last year, when they had Devontae Adams, the Niners started to take Adams out, right? Uh, Adams had a bunch of catches early, but once the Niners took Devontae Adams out, Rodgers didn't have his other guys stepping up. We'll see if anyone else can replicate this against Justin Jefferson. Look, the greatest receivers in the world have had games where they only catch one pass or whatever it is. It doesn't mean that there's a blueprint, right? It doesn't mean... Justin Jefferson's shut down. We've solved him, right? Part of it is having Jair Alexander. Part of it is is actually game planning to take those plays away, having a match with your pass rush and all that fun stuff. My point with the Vikings, though, is Adam Thielen needs to step up, and T.J. Hawkinson needs to step up. Like you need the the the, one that we said this as a positive going into this game that Hawkinson has really come alive. These not only this season, but as a Viking, as a as a key option when they do when teams do try to take away. Justin Jefferson you need that even more if teams continue to give him a ton of attention heading into the playoffs here yeah
1: um Alexander though I think is a phenomenally entertaining brand of crazy like I think corners <laughs> I think being an elite corner in today's NFL you need to be as you need to be a level of nuts it doesn't work if you're entirely rational level headed and honest with how things have gone. you need to always have that slant of yeah, I got screwed here, or I was good. You need to be slightly above and beyond the realistic level of what actually happened. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense because you spend the entire time focused on the plays you gave up or the fact that this guy actually could have beaten you for 150 yards if things had broken his way. You have to be like, no, I was locked down every play. And look, if he caught a pass, it was because something screwed me. You know, Jair Alexander is clearly nuts but in a way that I think is probably really beneficial for a cornerback uh, in today's league. And this was like the perfect manifestation of it. Like you get one good play against Justin Jefferson early in the game, you get in his face, you start winding him up. And then if anything, it, it helps you as the game goes on. And it happens to back up what you were saying earlier in the week. You didn't get burned by it. I just think it's a great thing that somehow the guy was doing everything wrong. You trash talk the best receiver in the game over the course of the year. You gave him bulletin board material. And then you got one pass
0: breakup on him earlier in the game and rode that to, like, shutting him out and the entire Vikings collapsing around you. Yeah, I'm just I'm watching some of the plays here. So we had, we had Jair with 20 snaps in press coverage out of, um, like, th- there were 38 total players' plays that had um, press coverage in this game, and 20 of them were Jair Alexander in press again mostly against against Jefferson and you know one of the early third and fours it's Jair and press with safety help over the top right so again it's not like it wasn't Jair Jair Island or anything like that but you know a guy that has the the shiftiness to stick with Jefferson plus help yeah that's going to take him out and just say all right go ahead beat us with your beat us with your second and third best on this uh you know in this game and the Vikings weren't able to so um, I do wonder how much you just got to throw it up to Jefferson at this point though. And they, and they had like at other times during the year they had, right? Like that's one of, one of the things that made cousins and Jefferson so special is cousins would anticipate throw the ball before breaks and all that stuff and just give him a chance to make plays. And usually he's, he's coming through.
1: And against green Bay, like remember the first game with big question was how did they keep winding up with Jefferson against the safety time after time, after time, there's a play um, you know, sometime late in the first quarter where they have Justin Jefferson running up the middle on a post route against a split safety look and Cousins doesn't take the shot. Now, okay, it's third and 11 and, you know, maybe you don't want to take the bomb shot on that, but that's the kind of play that they made all the way in that first game. Anytime Jefferson was hitting or attacking an open middle of the field, they were putting the ball in the air and letting him go to work against the safety this time cousins passes it up
0: looks in the flat and doesn't make a play all right so the vikings fall to 12 and 4 they can still be a, a two or a three seed for the playoffs um the packers as we mentioned winning in against the lions next week two more games to discuss i believe uh chargers 31 rams 10 chargers a uh, pretty dominant game here for them. Austin Eckler had just 10 carries, but he goes for a buck 22, a 72-yard touchdown in there as well. Eckler was fantastic, both you know as a runner and as a receiver. Mike Williams was fantastic as a receiver, had a beautiful one-handed catch. And man, the Chargers, are they're, they're going to get the label as the team that you don't want to play in the playoffs. They're finally healthy with Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, uh, Herbert throwing the ball pretty well. In the turn of events... That happens here with the Ravens losing on Sunday Night Football the Chargers just moved up to the number five seed in the uh is, is this a coveted spot the five seed because you get to play the AFC South winner so the Chargers move up to five and now you get to avoid the Bills or Bengals hmm. and you do get Bills Bengals or Chiefs could be one two or three right so yeah. that the power three once you get that <laughs> five seed you'll avoid them and play the Jags or the Titans. So big game here for the Chargers.
1: Yeah, it's less about, I think, who you get to play and more about who you avoid. Um, Because, let's face it, if Jacksonville wins and they end up rolling into the postseason off the back of the run-in they've had, like, Jacksonville are no joke. You know, particularly with Trevor Lawrence playing right. Oh, yeah.
0: Nothing's easy. I mean, it's the playoffs. It's just... And if you're going to win something, you have to beat good teams at some point. It's just, you might have an easier game rather than going through, say... Bengals in round one and then go to Kansas or then go to Buffalo and then have to go to Kansas City, you know, it just makes it a little bit easier, maybe going to Jacksonville. Right. But for Tampa.
1: example, I don't think anybody has any concerns whatsoever about facing Tampa Bay based off the season they've had right now. Whereas Jacksonville coming in off the run they'd have had if they win their final game, like that's a legit team. And as Ben pointed out, they also they kind of hammered the Chargers earlier in the year. They did. But there's definitely a giant drop between Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati. Again, particularly if Cincinnati ends up with their run in.
0: Listen, Ben, Herbert was down a rib at that point. In
1: versus season. Jacksonville, like it's way more about not having to play one of those three elite teams versus getting to play Jacksonville.
0: Uh, I think more importantly, though, it's getting healthy, right? We've you're talking about the Vikings who are 12 and four, and it's like, oh man, now they've got these offensive line issues and. Uh, injuries and all that stuff all of a sudden the the Chargers are getting all of these uh, all these players back. Uh, I
1: hate how big a, an impact injuries make on this stuff. It feels like once we get to like week 15 if all the teams in playoff consideration could just stop getting people hurt. Just right now it would be nice. No more injuries. If you, if anyone's going to get injured, let it be on a crappy team that's been eliminated already and we don't really care. I hate that You know, we're talking about, oh, who's going to win these couple of games for seeding? And And you're like, well, who's going to lose their starting, you know, left guard and center? Or who's going to lose two corners?
0: Like, that's what we're talking about with a lot of this stuff. Uh, Uh, So it was Joey Bosa who made his return, right? First time since week. He played 25 snaps. First game since week three against the Jags when the Jags did crush the Chargers. Uh, But it's good to see him out there now with Khalil Mack. Kyle Van Noy had a big game there, too. So you're starting to see, like, the depth that the Chargers thought they had going into the season before everybody got hurt. Um, The player didn't play due to a concussion, but he should be back next week. So yeah, rounding into form, I would say the Chargers, but I think most importantly, it is, it is the offense, right? Herbert continues to make good decisions, give his guys opportunities to make plays. And Mike Williams, again, just to reiterate, fantastic game from him. Um, But him, Keenan Allen, Austin Eckler, Josh Palmer, they're tough to cover. Yeah, they are. Um,
1: the neither defense in this game seemed particularly interested in stopping the run. No, not at
0: all. Cam Akers looked pretty good for the Rams, think except looks... for
1: dropping a touchdown earlier in the as game as a runner.
0: He looked good as a yeah. good run on the ball. But that's about it. <laughs> Anything else? Penetrating insight. Um, no, I mean, the, you know, Baker yeah. The, charge, the Chargers' run defense still baffles me sometimes. No yeah. matter who's in there.
1: They always are on the wrong side of, you know, inviting the run is generally a pretty good thing, but you can take it too far. And they tend to take
0: it too far. Yeah, that's going to be fascinating in the playoffs, trying to see what, what if they play Jacksonville or not. But if the Chargers are going to make a bit of a run and, you know, knock off one of those top teams, see how they, see, this, see how they handle things defensively. They play the Chiefs twice a year all the time. They play them tough, but they always do seem to come up just a little bit short, you know, even in, even from, like, a coverage standpoint, trying to slow down that Chiefs offense.
1: But this game did, to an extent, feel a little bit like why you do – why there is that thought process that you want to invite the run as a less efficient way of offensive production because Cam Akers was having a big game, 100-plus yards. Every time he touched the ball, he seemed to be making something reasonable happen, and yet the Rams scored 10 points, and it was like the threat of not – getting a big pass completed here is actually worth it you know yeah well, it looks ridiculous we're getting gashed constantly and they're actually moving the ball reasonably easily but they're not scoring which is kind of the point in all this right like this in a weird way this game was exactly why you want to be as soft as they often appear to be against
0: the run and um still no real idea i still know like what is baker mayfield uh with the rams now through four games, we have a, a 62 grade, fresh off the plane with one of the best comebacks in NFL history. We have a 42 grade against the Packers. We have a 70 grade and a 78 passing grade on Christmas Day against a really good Broncos defense that may have quit. And then we have a, a, a grade teasing uh, 40 here yesterday against the Chargers. So Baker Mayfield remains uh, very inconsistent, mm-hmm. very inconsistent and confusing. Soon as, you think, as soon as you think he might turn a corner here, Sam. Not so much. No. All right. So again, I think it's a it's a big game for the Chargers. I would assume they're playing the Broncos next week, right? To, to finish the season. And um they're gonna want to play. They're gonna want to play it through and I think hold on to that five seed if they can So uh 10 and 6, the Chargers move to here. Quiet 10 and 6. All right, let's go Sunday night football. I think that's every game. Let me know if I missed anything. Steelers, 16. Ravens 13, a classic old-school Steelers-Ravens matchup, and then turns into Kenny Pickett, fourth-quarter magic. Again, his third straight fourth-quarter comeback in, th- in his last three attempts. After failing in the fourth quarter against the Dolphins on Sunday Night Football, three straight fourth-quarter comebacks in as many attempts for Kenny Pickett. Steelers still alive in the playoff picture, and Mike Tomlin can still have Yes. That non-losing season, despite the terrible start. The winning season with the
1: terrible start and the rookie slash Trubisky quarterback situation is still alive for Tomlin, which is genuinely pretty incredible. Okay. It is. They haven't had the toughest schedule in the world, but still, that's a hell of an achievement if he pulls that off. Um, Yeah. It's a high-floor coach. Yeah. Fascinating game because, as Chris was pointing out in the broadcast. Pittsburgh was rolling out there with like a legit six-man defensive front. They were pulling the kind of game plans that are are used at much lower levels of football to combat very one-dimensional offenses. And they were saying, we don't think there's a chance in hell that Tyler Huntley can actually pass the ball to damage us. We know you're going to roll out here and try and run the ball, and we're going to shut it down with a six-man front.
0: And it was working it was um there was like four possessions total in the first half it was fascinating to watch what was the what was my tweet there was a point in the game where the teams had combined for about let's see it was 287 rushing yards compared to 186 passing yards so even with I mean it was pretty much working the 6-2 front but you know you still had J.K. Dobbins breaking free on a couple of runs and everything or Huntley on a keeper but yeah it was really just this old school shortened game there was also a point where it looked like the biggest play in the game was going to be a Cameron Hayward unsportsmanlike conduct penalty just before the half it, it it was on third down the Ravens would have kicked a field goal to go up what six to
1: three a four-point penalty
0: yeah a four-point penalty in um, four-point phantom penalty yeah it, it looked weird like he was kind of pushed on to Huntley or on someone and he was putting his hands up and they I don't know they thought he pounced on him next play Tyler Huntley hit Isaiah Likely for a seven-yard touchdown. So Baltimore went up 10-3 just before the half with 11 seconds, right? I mean, that was easily just going to be a field goal situation. And then the Ravens get up 10 with a 51-yard field goal from Justin Tucker. It's 13-3. The game's trudging along. It feels like old-school Steelers and Ravens and it's run game and nobody's, you know, nobody's moving the ball through the air. Ravens are up 10, but they've once again blown a ten-point lead. Them and the Raiders, and the Raiders.
1: Yeah, it's been an impressive season for that. Um, yeah, like so. That's two games this week where there there was a four-point penalty that was a major part of the game. The Philadelphia one that we covered earlier, which again was ridiculous, and then this one, which was ridiculous. For a while, looked like it was going to be you know potentially a determining play in the game until Kenny Pickett comes up clutch late on. The other player that was massive in this game that deserves a ton of credit was Najee Harris, yeah. who was dominating at, in every phase, right? Was great on the ground, was one of his best rushing performances. He was the player that catches the touchdown with a great play as a receiver. Game winner. And he also kept the drive alive by taking it upon himself to grab Kenny Pickett and throw him into a different gap than the one he was trying to get into on a sneak like it wasn't even the mall play it was like Kenny Pickett launches himself is basically stuffed Najee Harris just comes from comes in grabs hold of him and like throws him one gap to the left where there's actually a bit of space and drags him there so the guy was crushing on, on the ground as a rusher had the big play as a receiver and kept the drive alive in one of those sort of heady You know, not on the script plays where you just make something happen where where it wasn't there to happen.
0: It it does feel like so. Jalen Warren's an undrafted free agent that's uh, gotten a little love in Pittsburgh this season. Early in the year, he was creating far more explosive plays than Najee. He just kept putting the ball on the turf. Um, It does feel like Najee's been a little rejuvenated by Warren's emergence because Warren had a good game as well, running the ball and catching it. And um, I still think this last five six weeks has been the best stretch of I mean Najee's two year career. But this is the best he's run, most consistent that he's run. And, um, and even just the Steelers O-line up front playing a little bit better uh, as the season's gone on. They were fantastic. Just winning up front, it did feel a little old-school Steelers football. But a- after all that, right, they had run the ball, they had done a pretty good job containing the Ravens offense, you know, stopping the run and the whole deal. I mean, the Steelers weren't scoring any points, right? Hmm. Running the ball's all great, like you were just saying with the Rams game right yeah they 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 had a bunch of rushing yards but they weren't putting points on the board Steelers had six points going into the fourth quarter and get a field goal to get within 13-9 but that game-winning touchdown drive by Kenny Pickett once again there's a seam route in there that is just an absolute beauty and then the touchdown to Najee Harris just making plays outside of structure Jason Pierre Paul barely got a got a hand on him couldn't pull him down and Pickett just rolling to his left, puts the ball up and away from coverage to Najee for the touchdown. Pickett's been showing when you, for whatever it's worth, fourth quarter magic, when you put the ball in his hands to make plays, he didn't do it against the Dolphins, had multiple interceptions on that first Sunday night football attempt, but these last three times we had Christmas Eve against the Raiders, and then this week, unbelievable down the stretch here by Pickett.
1: Yeah, I mean, this that felt like a legitimately clutch play from him late on in the game, play, plays, you know, felt like clutch play um he was really good this was also the best performance i think from tj watt since he came back like i know the kind of on off splits for the steelers when tj watt is on versus off the field are pretty crazy but he hadn't actually played that well since coming back which is right, white by the way it's insane that that guy made the pro bowl this year despite not playing for most of the year um like rafael
0: palmero winning the gold glove as a dh exactly like that
1: uh but this game like
0: he was legit in this game, absolutely destroying your guy.
1: Poor old uh...
0: Morgan. yeah, yeah, Morgan Moses, uh, not the best game for him. and it's uh since I called him out for having uh, a career year, he's no longer having a career year. His, <laughs> his grade has dropped below his career high now mm. after last night's game. He was at a night this is, it's you know tough to predict ball, right? He, he was a 90 grade last week against the Falcons. This week, probably down in the 40s. That definitely needs to be a quote graphic for you this season.
1: It's tough to predict ball. It's tough to
0: predict ball. <laughs> Minus, like, whatever listen, your
1: season total is. Except for Harry,
0: who's uh, – wait, did he get this game Unless too? you're a seven-year-old, it's hard to predict ball. Yeah, some people were mad that we were giving Harry's picks, but maybe you should listen. Maybe you should listen. Well,
1: Harry's I'm mad picks. because it's ruining
0: your season record. I know. Uh, what did he pick in this game? Harry picked Baltimore to cover the house. So he loses that one. You took, you got Pittsburgh. Oh, thank God. How many wins do you have? This Not week? many at all. Three a terrible week. That's three for you. And, uh, we both have Cincinnati in tonight's game. So Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh wins. They now, it's my worst week of the year. Sorry about that. Hmm. Yeah. Cause you don't have me to pick against them. I know sorry. it's yeah, ruined it's my whole process. Really ruined things. Um, impressive by the Steelers. Um, Got to feel good about the future. I think with Pickett now, for whatever it's worth. I mean, after after all that, all that excitement, though, it's it's so funny because he's still six point two yards per attempt. He was fifteen of twenty seven for one sixty eight. Like, what matters more? Is, is it is it all of the production, or is it just that he's showing these signs of life here? I, I still come back to like Matt Canada's offense doesn't create anything easy. Yeah. Doesn't create like if you have an offense with these playmakers in the way Pickett has played. And the way Trubisky played, to be honest, this season. Trubisky threw the ball pretty well this season. There's no free offense Mm -hmm. in this Steelers offense. If they can adjust that this offseason, I think there's maybe something to build around here.
1: Yeah, I do think it's slightly different than some other quarterback situations where you're like, okay, if you're showing this degree of ability, it should be more productive. And it should be, but I don't think the limiting factor here is Kenny Pickett. I think the limiting factor is the offensive scheme and what it's creating. So I think Kenny Pickett, if he played at this level consistently, like if this was his baseline all the way through the season, you would be very happy from him as a quarterback, but it wouldn't necessarily mean that the offense would be absolutely cooking because I don't think it's helping him out too much now. Like that needs to change, but I think so far, like if Kenny Pickett plays at this kind of level, or even if this is just the sort of a data point on the, the general up and down, uh, tracking of his season he looks really good right now
0: yeah I've been uh, I've been impressed you know even it's it's interesting because we always have to we, we we defended his grade against the Colts on Monday Night Football where he had about a buck 90 or whatever it was he's uh making good decisions he's creating outside of structure inside of structure it's been really good I think for Pickett so far um Ravens still look limited with Tyler Huntley under under center what they could do in the past game he, he did make a few nice throws to keep him in it. mark andrews had 100 of the 130 receiving yards for the ravens it was all andrews they were backed up a couple times andrews just kept making plays um it is it does feel like huntley like lamar jackson can kind of overcome the fact that they haven't built a great group of playmakers besides mark andrews there with the ravens that they don't have this great receiving core it doesn't feel like huntley can really overcome that in no. the same way We'll see if Lamar Jackson comes back. There's a chance next week, if the Bengals lose tonight, the Ravens are still playing for the division, right? Mm-hmm. Is that right?
1: If the Bengals
0: yes. lose, yes. Yeah, because they would both be they, – they could both have six losses. So the Ravens are still playing for the division if the Bengals lose tonight. And um, we'll see if Lamar comes back for that game. They're 3-2 and two now without, without Lamar Jackson. But I think more importantly, they're, they're, the offense has been – just not putting points up yep and you can't just you can't win all these games 13 to 3 so that's it man Do we do all the games sure hopefully well that's quick when you skip a couple of games basically oh yeah it's pretty when efficient. you give when you give
1: people nothing
0: on a couple of games you can fly right through these if you tuned in for jacksonville houston sorry i don't know what to tell you so anyway thanks to everybody for tuning in enjoy the game tonight bills Bengals. We haven't had the best Monday Night Football games this year, but they got this one right. Second last week of the season. uh, Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, head-to-head. It's going to be fun. So enjoy that. We'll be back. We'll review the whole game on Wednesday. We'll be back on Thursday previewing week 18. I also want to hear from people, do you want me to do a scenario podcast? Oh, god. PFF NFL Daily. I will simply read out each team's scenarios. Yeah. In 10 minutes. If you do. You'll have a night off. Yeah, I'm not going to be there for that one. I'll just let you go. I need you to do the ad read nope. for that. Pre-record it. I just, I want to see your transition. I okay. just want to see it. Will that play, does that have legs? Absolutely. On the daily. Steve just reads out the scenario. We can timestamp it like, here's your team scenarios. Houston Texans, you get the first round, you get the first overall pick with a loss. Bears, you get the first overall pick with a loss and a Texans win. <laughs> I'll do it in computer voice too. All right, let's get out of here early. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again on Wednesday.